1994年11月20日女子プロレスの一番熱く長い一日史上最大の決戦ビッグエッグレスリングユニバースドーム頂上対戦ただいまより開催いたします Everybody. Welcome to the Poo Poo Podcast. My name is George Thompson, at least as far as you know, and with me I have Sarah Parkin and David Forrest. How are you guys? Hey, up. Doing all right, I think. How are you? Yep. I- I'm fine. We live together. Uh, so... <laughs> oh, you're talking to David. Okay. I was, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, thanks, George. But, but yeah, um, doing well. The Jags riding high. We're going all the way to the Premier League. It's an incredible time to be alive. Um, I can't wait to get beat by Aaron Friday. Is this, your, is this your way of hurrying Sarah along with mixing this? Thank you for making this as time sensitive as humanly possible. Thank now you, Now you know how it feels after all these years. <laughs> um, so the reason, and you will notice that I have not said an episode number, and that's because this is not a numbered episode. We are doing a sequel to what I think it's safe to say was our most self-indulgent episode ever and we do it with self-indulgent when we're doing it the one you may remember the Puri Puri podcast holiday special which was literally just me and david talking for a couple of hours about the holidays we've been on and the wrestling that we have watched there and we thought at the time was like this is this is literally just us having an excuse to have a catch-up with each other but also recording it and putting it out no one's gonna want to listen to this but actually several people have told me that that's one of their favorite episodes and seeing as sarah and i recently went on holiday to japan and watched some wrestling we thought eh, screw it let's just uh do it again but before we do that david i understand you have been on a couple of non-wrestling related trips would you like to tell us about them i did um yes so um the last day in april i went to belgium i went to brussels um for the belgian cup final my beloved malinois uh, kv mecklen got to the cup final i really got into them after i'd done a 15 year career in fifa with them where i won uh, three Champions Leagues, two Europa Leagues, nine leagues, um, five Cups, and three UEFA Super Cups. Uh, not that I'm counting. Um, <laughs> uh, but the first ever trophy I won was the 2023 Belgian Cup final. And um, it, when they got to the final, this is a bit too convenient. I also, um, my best friend from school, uh, Liam, uh, lives in Belgium now. He um, has a family there. Um, he doesn't like football, but he enjoys he enjoys me sort of framing it in a social context. So I I said, do you want to come for a day on the skate to the Belgian Cup final? And we'll watch KV Mecklen beat the dreaded, despicable Royal Antwerp, who I have uh, been, I have been reliably informed by Liam are the, let's put it, not... Not to put such a fine word, the Huns of Flanders. Um, so, 
I mean, her name is Royal Antwerp, but I mean, that's a, that's a naming standard in Belgium. But um, yes, so we went uh, to that. Uh, Mecklen lost 2-0. Uh, they lost a penalty. Uh, sorry, it's 3-0. Um, they, they just collapsed in the last five, ten minutes. But it was a great day out. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. it was, I absolutely love going to Belgium. It's one of my favourite places in the world. I, I fucked about on e-scooters for most of <laughs> the night and the morning after. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I would highly recommend it. But yeah, flew out 6am from Edinburgh to Brussels um, and then got a flight back the next day. I was raging once I booked my flights to realise the next day is May Day in Brussels, which is like leftist Christmas. <laughs> um, and, and you have a huge Antifa sort of parade and they go about and just wind up, you know, fancy hotels and stuff like that and just really... Just make lots of anti-capitalist protests. We sounded like a great laugh. It sounded like I'd already booked my flight from Charleroi Airport for about one in the afternoon, so sad I wasn't able to go. But a great great day had by all. Um, I really, really enjoyed it and definitely want to go back very soon. I'd already been before, but it's just a really great place to go. So I'm definitely, if you're looking for a place to go, Belgium is the place to go. I was going to say that this is like... A, a really dumb reason to go on a foreign holiday but as listeners of our 2021 christmas special will know this isn't even the dumbest holiday for you involving football in absolutely the last not years. um at least i well the, the good thing is, is i didn't know where my hotel was and it sounds like it was around the corner from my hotel the last time i stayed there which is down the road and oh, it doesn't look like it's in such a shitty area because the you know, the ho- the pictures in the hotel make it look like it's a nice, really nice bit. It's not the same shitty area. Um, it was just down the road. Um, so I was able to find it quite easily. And the transport in Belgium is really, really easy to get to. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. went to Leuven for, uh, for the night. I had a couple of very strong percent, 12, 12% beers um, there. So that was great fun. It's basically... 12%? Yeah. Um, are the spirits that are weaker than that? Yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> I don't drink, yeah. so I've got no idea whether that's true or not. The, the key, though, for me, is that Belgium is just full of chips, right? Every, every second shop is a chip shop. <laughs> So I will just one of the foods that you will always definitely eat. Exactly, I'm never, I'm never going to go hungry because every time I find, oh, I just want some chips. I'm tanning lots and lots of chips as I'm doing it, so it's fine. Um, because that's usually my downfall. But I enjoyed being in the King Boardland Stadium with twenty five thousand people in red and yellow. You know, the colour of McDonald's, so that you could enjoy the chips. Exactly, famously <laughs> colour of McDonald's. Yeah, um, and yeah, it was just really nice. It's the, probably the closest I'll ever get to seeing Crystal at Hampton, and it was in fucking Belgium. Um, but yeah, I um, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was great fun, and um, definitely going to go back soon. And uh, your other trip, a little bit closer to home, David. I would argue that this is the purest form of pro wrestling that there is. I I would. Heartily agree with this. Um, I went to the Eurovision Song Contest. I went to Liverpool, home Hell of the yeah. Fab Four carcass. Um, <laughs> God, I'm so jealous. Uh, I know you make this joke every time you enter Liverpool, and I laugh every time. It, 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 they are. Uh, I I went I went to the cavern um, and my carcass shirt. Of course, it did. It's a form of political protest, George. Yeah, yes, we went to Liverpool, went to the two semi finals of Eurovision. Did not realise how many snipers are, are at these events. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we went, so I absolutely loved it. So, Finland were robbed. We all know that. Absolutely. This is fact, right? The Liverpool screw job. The Liverpool screw job, exactly. Um, but Lorena actually is performing in the UK, she's doing a UK tour. 
Really? She's the most hated woman in Britain at the moment, isn't she? I know. Well, the pre the pre sale <laughs> sold out in literally thirty seconds. All gone. We wow. were logged on at nine a.m. to go, and they were already sold out. So fuck knows what was going on there. Carrier should have won. Uh, he should have been the champ, 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 champion. Um, but well done. Sadly, sadly, it's not to be. But yeah, we went to the two semi finals. I absolutely loved it. Seeing um, Australia and. 10,000 members of the LGBT community do their first ever death metal uh, scream was <laughs> a, an amazing sight. It was funny, My uh, we went with, so we have another couple who are like our Univision friends, so the four of us went and they have a kid now. The four of us went in 2016 when they were pregnant with their kid, and then seven years later when it came to Liverpool. It was quite funny because we'd booked for the semi-final tickets for the first one, and they couldn't go, so they're like, we can't go. And they couldn't get tickets, so it was fine. We were doing it ourselves, and we were very reticent because we like to encode them when we were doing this sort of thing. And then they put on more tickets for sale for the second semi-final, and we were, I faked system issues in my work. Um, I mean, I had system issues in my work, if anyone from my work is listening. Um, <laughs> very legitimate. And sat ready and primed and managed to get five tickets. So I, I messaged them going, I've got five tickets, do you want them? And they're like, oh, I don't know. We can't get the way in at school. It's going to be terrible. Oh, I don't know. And I went, fuck you, I've bought them anyway. And, <laughs> and they're like, all right then, great. I think they just kind of needed the push to go because if I'd been like, all right then, they just went and went. But I was like, oh, fuck you, I've got them in my basket. I'm not going back to try to get to now. So they brought their kid down. But their kid cannot lie. Their kid cannot keep a secret at all. So they, they had like conversations before of how do we broach this? Because we can't say she's unwell. Because literally one second after she goes into school next day, go I went to Eurovision Song Contest in Liverpool yesterday instead of, of keeping up the lie. So they had to like basically tell the teacher and go, yeah, uh, she won't be in the first day. She's going to Eurovision. And he just went, fair enough. Like... Don't blame you. Um, yep, fair enough. We'll see you on Friday. But we had a really great time. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, it was good to see Albania get through with their their family, <laughs> the family that they entered. That was very wholesome. I thought it was very wholesome. It wasn't very wholesome for the one brother who clearly didn't want to do it, but was roped in by the rest of the family. And just kind of sat there and sang very unenthusiastically. He basically played the role of Hikari Noah of the Up Up Girls every time the Up Up Girls are performing. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I, I was going to say Andrea Ferro from Lacuna Coil, but uh, it was a much yeah. more or less. Hey, Andrea Ferro makes it look like it's his job, whereas the brother literally seems like like he's been roped into a family karaoke night. He's he just got Werner Herzog behind the camera with a gun forcing him to do it. <laughs> But yes, I really enjoyed that. But yes, the snipers, we went on, there was, a, there was a Ferris wheel next to the arena. So we went on the Ferris wheel and we're just on a whim with, with their kids and the other couple. And we're like, oh, we'll just go. Because mainly mainland, they wanted to go on the Ferris wheel and we didn't really give a shit if the kid wanted to go on. We were going to go on it anyway. And like, yeah, we'll go, well, let's go on. And we're sitting there and the Ferris wheel's like a giant one that goes all the way up over the skyline and um, goes around up three times. First time we went up, go, oh, there's a sniper. All right, and we're looking at the sniper, and then we look at another building. There's one there, and there's another one over there, and over there, and they have like tents. So there's a guy who clearly just camped out in the hotel for like four days as a sniper. And I'm like, I hope they're policemen. I don't know if they are, but you know, you you never know. But yes, yeah, so that was that was very interesting. 
All I'm, all I'm saying is Israel got quite a lot of points relative to how good their song yeah, was. Yeah, um, actually, enough points for my each way bet to come in. So I hope that the lads in the Gaza Strip enjoyed the, the pump for the water filtration system, whatever the fuck 45 quid buys you uh, from my coffin. <laughs> I, I, I love your spiteful anti-Israel bets. You just put a bet on them to win so you can use the money to donate yeah, to Palestine. It's, it's, it's the best way to do it. So, yeah, so, um, so thank you to my comrades um, in Israel uh, for funding the Palestinian <laughs> Right. Um, so here's a question, right? Based on just because I, I can't imagine what it's actually what it's actually like to be in the room and to hear how that goes. Like, what's the song that didn't get through to the finals, where like the feeling in the room was that they'd been robbed? Like, were there any that were like fan favorites that just didn't make it that far? No, usually there, we all we always joke. There's always a, a there's always blood for the blood god. There's always a sacrifice at the altar in the semi-finals yeah. of it. So like, Iceland in 2016 is a big one and you know, those were usually one every year this year i would say there probably wasn't any huge huge ones i maybe say denmark uh who mm. had the guy from the faroe islands oh i thought i thought that was quite good actually that was like my easily my favorite of the songs that didn't get through because like, i think that the semis actually did their job this year and that was to filter out the shite whereas the year before i think everyone was depressed because the war and loads of weepy ballads got through and the actual interesting stuff didn't whereas all the mental shit got through exactly yeah absolutely so i'd probably say Denmark. i really like that song um, and i've spent most of the time since trying to figure out how i could get his hair cut apparently <laughs> sugar spray is a thing that's what i need to, to do it um, i think i can pull it off of, um, I'd probably need to wash it a lot and take good care of it. It doesn't seem like something I do. Um, but you, anything you know, can be fixed with conditioner, mate. It's fine. That that is true. That is true. Yeah. You were very happy when I told you he was he was Faroese in the yeah. Uh, there was the lots DMs. of people with Faroese flags kicking about. Um, and I was wondering why. And I'm like, yeah. And then it makes so much sense now. And it's like, yeah. Um, but I I mean I just have heady memories of being really drunk outside that pub that wasn't the pub that we were at and you're getting lost. It's you know, it's a great time for us all. Um <laughs> yes, yeah, especially, especially me. You, yeah, in the pissing <laughs> rain as I lay in, in a chair underneath a shelter. Um but yeah, so um I say Denmark's probably that one this year because a lot of people quite liked him. But as you say, most of the good ones get through this year. I've got to say overall, like it was a this has been a banger yay for Eurovision. It's the first time, right, where genuinely we are over a week after the event and there are still like multiple songs from this year's Eurovision going round in my head like, and that does not happen most of the time I've forgotten them by like Thursday yeah absolutely but I mean like Cha Cha Chance have been you know in my head for about four months at this point so you yeah know, why why break the habit of a lifetime I know I, I thought it was really great and we went to in Liverpool we, what else did we do we went to the Cavern we saw a band who played Every cover under the sun except any by the Beatles. Literally, <laughs> dire Straits, Gary Glitter, oh, Tommy Kitten. Um, now, I don't know if he was playing the KLF, right? The Time Lords, right? But it's, it's a Gary Glitter song, right? It, but the KLF turned it into a song of the Doctor Who, right? Doctor in, Doctor in the TARDIS, isn't it? Doctor in the TARDIS is yeah, a Gary right. Glitter song, yeah. But they, it's the acceptable way to listen to the Gary Glitter song. But yeah, I'm, so I, I, fight, I don't know if they were doing that, but um, who knows? But he played everything apart from the Beatles. Uh, which is very funny. That club really won a watch when the Beatles played there. 
because good lord, they don't even need to try to be good. The Beatles played here, it doesn't matter if it's a shithole, the Beatles played here. Do you know the Beatles? Do you know the Beatles are from Liverpool, George? <laughs> I'd heard it once or twice. It's yes. rarely mentioned in Liverpool. Um, you know, you'd think they talk about it more. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I did. I did enjoy the the Liverpool songbook with um, absolutely zero Paul McCartney in it, which I thought was a bit <laughs> a real. I did snub. love that. Yeah, it was that that whole thing was. I, I actually said I think the production was great. I think I think we did a great job with it. Uh, like the hosting was actually like non cringy. Everyone seemed to want Tanawadium to step on the throats, and uh, not me, obviously. And um, you know the whole "We Stand with Ukraine" stuff, which like can often be quite tokenistic and even patronising, was actually really lovely and uh, and sincere. I think what I liked about it was that it felt like it was very much like they weren't. They weren't leaning into like you know the the, the flag waving British stuff. It was a it was far more. It felt like it was a Liverpool show. Like it felt like it was very kind of on the city and the community. And I think that's kind of what stopped it from being cringe. Actually, I just thought the whole thing just worked really well. And like that, you know, I'd been wondering because at this point we'd seen all of the other Ukrainian Eurovision winners, and I was like snub to Ruslana where is Ruslana where are my wild dances and you get through all the Liverpool songbook and then eventually you see that she's leading the sing-along in Kiev at the back like that's on the big screen at the background and everybody's singing you'll never walk alone I thought that was absolutely gorgeous Graham Norton was crying obviously a, a very famous very famous song for KV Mecklen um, the Malinois. I did. I did indeed sing. You'll never walk alone at, at the national stadium during a big cup final. Um, like all like half of Patrick Thistle fans were doing that day, um, <laughs> and with our big team. But um, yeah, like I, I, I liked. It. I, I enjoyed the, the inclusion of Pete Burns, hardest man in Liverpool. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, oh, but my my performance of the the week was uh, on the 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 day or oh the day. The semi-final, we went for um, a bite to eat. Uh, we looked for a pub nearby the arena, and there was one called the Liverpool. Is that what they're going to call when they get out? Uh, they go out of business and a new co gets well. Obviously, I, like, I think I can't remember. Somebody said to me, "said Would you go to a pub in Glasgow called the Glasgow?" And I was like, "I would." <laughs> But I love shitty beer pit pubs because you usually have quite good, like eighty shilling beers. So like the the old man pubs or whatever, I I would probably go, but most people wouldn't know. And then um, we went in, and I'll say three words to you that should sum it up for you: the free legs. <laughs> oh god! This is a reference, dear listeners, to what I would happily describe as being bottom three worst pubs in Leeds city centre: the three legs. When I went in. I think bottom three is being generous, Sarah. <laughs> when I went in, the the entire pub and and to the three legs, the entire pub was bedecked in England flags, um, which were out of the sun. And I was like, mm, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, they've also played Penny Arcade, which is not a song you can do in karaoke in Glasgow if you want to get out alive. And I went past there once where they were actually doing a legit Gary Glitter song on karaoke, looping back to earlier at about four the in the three afternoon. Three Legs is a place that has a sign outside it painted or painted on the door jam that says karaoke from 2pm every day. I mean, it's a hellish concept. However, speaking of karaoke, we went in for a nice wee bite to eat, then suddenly realised it's karaoke time. Oh my God. However, I mean, generally with karaoke, the idea is people can go up and do songs what they want to do not in this one it was a granny <laughs> in a kimono and she had the microphone and she was running it she had a eurovision fact for every song and hated eurovision so she clearly just went on wikipedia 
and take as many Eurovision facts and constructed Cliff Richard ABBA. She she battled for an ABBA medley like there was a gun to her head. <laughs> um, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, she didn't do Waterloo though, which was very funny. Um, she had one bit of patter, or, or two bit of patter. Is there anybody in from Country X? And if there was nobody in, they would go, I fucking hate them. <laughs> uh, and if there was somebody in there, go, oh, bastard, I was going to say I fucking hate them. Uh, that, 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 was, that was really patter. She had quite the repertoire. She went, this one is for the people of the Netherlands, and then played Rotterdam by the Beautiful South. Okay. Um, and two Scottish, two songs, because she realised we were Scottish. So she done Paolo Nettini and Rod Stewart. And then we had a big back and forth about how Rod Stewart isn't actually Scottish and he's English, with us both going, yes, he is English. She is definitely not Scottish. So that was funny. Then she she went on to the Welsh and she'd done Delilah from Delilah's perspective um, (laughs) um, about how her man uh, had cheated on her and she was raging. And there was lots of swear words and violent... Graphic violent imagery is probably the words that I would Some use. Some words I guess I've Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was incredible. But then the main event, the piece de resistance, she had she had a, a triple bill at the end. The first song was um, Walking in Memphis. However, she had adapted it to be about Liverpool and it was entitled Shoplifting in Liverpool. <laughs> uh, with the immortal line go down to Mecca Bingo, where the Muslims go to bet. Um, <laughs> My God. Uh, yeah. Um, and then um, she had a song about Fanny. Uh, I don't know the song. It's, it's about, like, my fanny da, 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 da. and it's all about someone who like their auntie fanny or something like that. But I was trying to go for a piss and she, like, stopped me from going to the toilet and stuff like that. And then ended up with, uh, as a final song, a guy works down the chip shop, swears his Oh, Elvis. what a tune. <laughs> what a fucking tune. Before ending it going, he, he isn't Elvis, it's a guy who drives the 55 bus who is Elvis, which I thought was a good line. So yeah, so she was my winner of Eurovision. Um, uh, an incredible experience. I was going to say, um, so based on this, are you actually recommending the Liverpool as a pub that we should actually go to? Because I'm getting, I'm not entirely convinced. I, I, I'm not saying we should have a maintainer's day out to the Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> but I am saying that because it is sensational stuff. We'll phone them up and go, is she in the day? And they, they won't go, who? She'll know exactly who we're asking about. Go, yeah, yeah, she's in six o'clock. No bother. Cool. See you then. Yeah, so I, I, I tour the force. Deux points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is how you know that the 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 hegemony of uh, English is the global lingua franca in that the, the French woman announced the points in English at Eurovision. Yeah, exactly. You know, that we, we didn't, well, you didn't fight at Agincourt for nothing. <laughs> Actually, I thought we didn't fight at Agincourt. We lost at Agincourt because we were on the other fucking side of the Ag- French. And, uh, and uh, Kayo actually had him in the fifth haircut. So, uh... Oh, I am. Um... I also uh, went to carry a sauna. Um, <laughs> Did you? He had Did a mobile you? sauna outside. A second favourite sauna provided by a Finnish musician. Uh, do you know that he has a YouTube series of people going into his sauna? Bukaria or uh, Yari from Winterson? Karia. <laughs> or not, not Yari. Um, Karia has a thing about like Eurovision where he's got a whole series of people like like Voyager and stuff like going into the sauna. And like chatting shit with them, it's incredible stuff. I'll need to send it. You'll need to have it on the watch. Come, come, to, come to think of it, Yari from Winterson like doesn't have time to interview people in a sauna. He's too busy adding three hundred synths to the five seconds of music he's composed this year, <laughs> <laughs> and asking for a new gaming PC because. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, it's that the get, getting that Alienware machines, the thing that's really going to get the album out by 2035. 20, 20, but uh, I would definitely recommend going to Eurovision. We want to, I, 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 I'm trying to angle them to come back to our friends to come to Stockholm with us next year. We'll see if that happens, but um, I, I'm up for it. I'm game. Fantastic. We should probably get to talking about some wrestling, I would imagine, on this wrestling podcast, but thank we you have. very much. Eurovision is wrestling. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Genuinely, yeah. though, but th- thank you very much. I literally did an article for uh, a double foot stomp. We maintain the double foot stomp is silly about how uh, Eurovision was wrestling. It is wrestling, so, though. Uh, check that out. And but, I believe uh, it. So thank you very much for your reportage there, David. Um, so, yeah, just to put uh, this whole thing in context. So uh, Japan had long been on the bucket list of uh, Sarah and myself, but we couldn't afford to do it. And then we could afford to do it. And then the pandemic happened. So we, we uh, didn't get to go uh, for a while. And we booked and then had to cancel it because they still weren't letting tourists in or the rest of it. But we finally got to go uh, end of April, start of May, around Golden Week. And we went around Golden Golden Week, uh, which I don't think I would do again because uh, uh, top tip for anyone uh, thinking of travelling to Japan, do not go to the country's premier tourist destination uh, Nikko, where the uh, the Tokugawas are all buried. Uh, do not do that on a bank holiday. Like just just don't. So I don't think we do it again. But the reason we went uh, during Golden Week was because we knew there was going to be a bunch of wrestling on. And look, we know people who go to Japan and they'll just get a wrestling, and you know that's what they enjoy. And like, good for them. But we were like, we've we've not been to Japan before. We want to do some sightseeing. We want to go on some day trips. So let's just judiciously choose three or four wrestling shows. It did end up being four that we can go to. Like ones we really want to see. We're going to tell you about those shows and how we enjoyed them and what happened and uh, and all the rest of it. So And also, just FYI for anybody who doesn't kind of already suspect where this is going, Tokyo's the greatest city in the world. I am desperate to go back. I uh, literally, before we started this call, I was looking at railway maps of Hokkaido to figure out how navigable the whole place is. Like, this is a major, major thing in my life and probably in George's as well. So basically everybody that we see in person for possibly the next 10 years is going to have to listen to us banging on about Tokyo. I I mean, I will say just before we go on for full disclosure, I I I joke to Linda because um, uh, are you aware of the band Beheaded? Yeah, I'm aware of them, yeah. So they, they have reunited out of nowhere to play one gig in Japan in Osaka with a, a, a whole oeuvre of other bands on that same war metal genre. <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous lineup you have ever seen in your life if you're into these things. And I think they've genuinely coaxed him into it by going, would you like a Fortnite in Japan? <laughs> also, you can do your really, you know, your your inconsequential ambient side project that no one cares about. But uh, you, you have to play the metal stuff as well. And I was joking, oh, I'd love to go back. We wanted to go back next year. And, oh, I'd love to go to Osaka go to see Behera. Um and then Linda was like, Yes, yeah, I'd like that. And like doesn't even like Behera, she'll hate the gig. But you know what? She'll love Japan <laughs> because we've been before and absolutely and that matters. want to go back again. So yeah. Now the now the context of the first show we saw. So the first show we went to we went to the uh, Pro Wrestling Prominence first anniversary show on the 24th of April. This, I don't think, would necessarily have been that high up our list of shows to see, although I was curious about um, them doing Corrigan Hall for the for the first time. But a couple of weeks before we were due to fly out, I got a, a message from my friend Abby, who is a professional astrophysicist, which is one of the greatest jobs you can possibly have, uh, scientifically proven. And she 
um, she moved to Chile um, late last year to work on this like really prestigious research uh, observatory. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to get to see her for ages. But it just so happened her and her fella, who is also an astrophysicist, were in Tokyo at the same time. And then then she said, this was music to my fucking ears, I really want to go see some wrestling, but I'm not sure where to start. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll check the calendar and see what's on during the, you know, the few days that we're overlapping. And by far the most appetizing option was this uh, prominent show. And now the problem is that Abby and her fella, James, have seen very little wrestling. I found out that James watched the Lului a bit when he was younger. Abby has seen some pay-per-views um, at ours, and also when I was at, when we were at university together, uh, I sometimes have people around to watch. This is like late 2013, uh, early 2014, Dulului, when the product was actually really good. Uh, it may, may, may seem uh, shocking to uh, to think in uh, in the light of you know the past most of the past decade, let's be honest. Um, but they didn't have any experience of death matches, and Prominence is a, a death match promotion. So I sent Abby a short highlights video of that uh, Gaki no Fuchi versus Prominent show that we reviewed last year for the podcast and was like, if you're okay with this level of violence, then I'll get us some tickets. And, uh, so that was that. So, and she said, yeah, that's fine. This looks, this looks cool. So I bought the tickets. Now, unfortunately, this was our first day in Japan, as in we got off the flight that morning and didn't manage to sleep on the plane because like planes are very difficult to sleep on famously oh also ba had just not brought our luggage because the flight was too full and so it was coming on the next one so that kind of added to the level of stress but i think it, i was quite glad of it in the end because i was thinking well if there's, we're going to some wrestling in the evening it'll at least force us to stay awake so we we walked around shinjuku we saw the godzilla hotel um and the uh, the alma mater of uh, one david forest and oh, a, a fine establishment <laughs> it really it really is it's like fuck man it's just there we're like uh in and like we're just in the middle of the area that like uh, the yakuza games are based on and like it was all really cool and then we went to so we went to korokan so we met abby and james outside the uh outside the tokyo dome again like incredible moment actually a very, very funny moment earlier in the day where we went to the um viewing platform on the 45th floor of the tokyo metropolitan government building and up there they've got english-speaking tour guides and they'll show you around the outside of the viewing platform and then point they'll point out the famous buildings to you like the big skyscrapers and all the rest of it and uh this woman was uh point, pointed out the tokyo dome to us and so we were like sort of trying not to laugh and politely nodding along and she was like and they call it the big egg you know like do they really oh, that's, that's very interesting and it's like we've literally just finished a 15 part podcast series about this place and and did you know that the beatles are from liverpool as well <laughs> <laughs> oh there was this really lovely moment when she was kind of she was pointing to it and she was like and and do you, do you know what that kind of big 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 sort of that sort of big white thing is over there and I sort of looked and I'm like desperately trying to conceal a grin and I'm like, well, that's the Tokyo Dome, isn't it? She was like, yeah. Like she seemed impressed that we knew. And, you know, not everybody would necessarily know that it was the Tokyo Dome, but it was the Dome. She was like, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nickname is, is Big Egg. And I was like, uh, and I'm sat there like also at this point I am physically like restraining myself because also I'm looking at Big Egg from a distance. And in my mind and in my soul, I'm also going, Oh my god, that's the Tokyo Dome! And I'm trying really hard to kind of keep a lid on it. If you're a proper plugger, you'd have went, is there any, uh, is there any good podcasts about like wrestling? <laughs> I really into wrestling. Is there any good uh, podcasts about wrestling shows? That... Well, there aren't any good podcasts, but I've been listening to Big Egg Podcasting Universe. 
Yeah, of course there is. Um, Chris uh, Chris Charlton's Eggshells podcast is a fantastic (laughs) series documenting. Good to have. Well, I mean, going to Carlton, obviously... um... A, a great moment for us as wrestling fans. We explained to Abby and James, like, yeah, you see this, like, really anonymous-looking building, which has barely got anything on the outside to indicate what it actually is. Yeah, this is the most famous wrestling venue in the country. So we got inside, took our seats. Um, it, it's actually, it's smaller inside than it seems on the telly, I thought. Yeah, I was actually really surprised by that. I've always gotten the sense... I mean, it probably shows you how how well sort of planned and scouted now the kind of the, the ways of shooting Cork and Hall are now. But yeah, I was kind of looking at it and going, is this it? Was like because it's the bleachers. Like I think the the was it the south side, the one that has kind of the that has the the wider tiers of seating. That felt about right to me. Yeah, that's where we were. So like the yeah. big sort of seating area. Yeah. I just thought that it would be a bit more the same all the way around. Whereas actually on the other three sides. You've got a lot fewer rows, and suddenly the fact that Mayu Iwatani has taken such ridiculous, like backward rolls all the way down there, is frankly like I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say that it looks less impressive in 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 sort of in context, but it it also kind of makes it look like oh, I kind of see why she thought that she could get away with chucking herself down it. <laughs> I we we did get a um a throwing yourself down the stairs spot at a show we went to later in the week, and it was not someone you would expect to do that. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, though. So this actually ended up being an incredibly good show to introduce Abby and James to Japanese wrestling because it was really varied. They got a great taster of all the different types of stuff that there is in Japanese wrestling, and it started with some absolute fucking nonsense. Um, get a load of this for a Battle Royal lineup. So we got Cherry, Chon Shiryu, Gabaiji-chan, Itsuki Aoki, Miyako Matsumoto, Miyuki Takase, Orka Uto, Sakura Hirota, Super Hardcore Machine, no fucking idea who that was, literally doesn't have a cage match profile, and uh, Toshiyuki Sakuda. Now, there are a lot of mouth breathers out there in Jim Cornette's mentions who will tell you that, oh, don't show... Uh, don't show people who aren't into wrestling. Don't show them comedy wrestling to introduce them to it because it'll, it'll put them off and they'll think it's ridiculous. Let me tell you something. Abby and James fucking loved Gabaiji Chan. He was their boy. He was so over. I, 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 I mean, I, from our, our previous episode where we discussed Tokyo Championship Wrestling, I think we can put put pay to that of, you know, those, those Nigerian pimps really loved the over-egging injury selling. Um... <laughs> It's it's just really really funny. Um, I mean, I, I have a friend who I who it doesn't watch wrestling, but is open to the concept of wrestling. And I showed them uh, survival to beat a versus Ken the Ball. <laughs> of course, they did. Right? They loved it. Absolutely agog. Loved it. Right? Wonderful. One of the best things they'd ever seen. They wanted to see more, and I'm like, not all wrestling is like this. If anything, not very much wrestling is like this. But you do like the cardboard box fights, so you know you've got that. You know that's your one. Clearly, no one wants to watch Okada Omega to a free fall. I don't want to fucking minutes. watch that, and I I'm into wrestling. <laughs> yeah, see if your match is a serious match and longer than Kenta versus Ricky Marvin, they're gone. They're lost. <laughs> they're not watching that, right? Comedy matches, absolutely, they'll go for it. It is the way in. But, I mean, to be fair, everyone who would, if if you are the sort of person who would at Jim Cornette to raise his attention about something, you are a humorless cunt. No, no, you know the worst, the, the people who are worse than the people who are at Jim Cornette, the people who at Brian Last as well. Brian Last is the equivalent of you, the little gremlin who's on that guy's chest in Total Recall. Like, he's, he's that guy, but to Cornette. <laughs> 
Um, but yes, to come back to our point, like the the argument that people often make is that because comedy wrestling is kind of uh, often a deconstruction of the tropes that are involved in quote unquote normal wrestling, then it's best to show them something normal first so they can appreciate how this comedy stuff is, uh, you know, uh, undermining and making fun of these tropes. But the the problem with that is that people are familiar with uh, slapstick. You know, like they they may not get wrestling, they may get the tropes, but I tell you what, like they, they've they've seen you know Mr. Bean or something or yeah. something like that. They're like physical comedy is something that is easily communicable, and and you know if, if it, it's Japanese, but like this stuff uh, translates across genres. Uh, that's why uh, Chucklevision is apparently on the telly in fucking Kurdistan, and um, <laughs> so and yeah, they they loved it. Like they were still talking about Gavaji Chan when we were like getting some ramen afterwards, like. And they, they they just found it really funny, yeah. Because it's this guy. He's he's an old man, and he's really shit and and feeble. And um, I'm I'm glad like everyone kind of got the chance to shine in this match. I'm glad we we didn't get much of Sakura Hirota's myriad forms of shtick, which I would then have to explain. Um, we got like the the hands up the ass, and then uh, and that 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 was about your lot. Um, that was over like Rover though. Like that was like Gabaiji Chan and Sakura Hirota like putting her hands together and then pointing them up somebody's ass were the things that were getting the biggest laughs out of the whole crowd, but especially people who were sitting there like, what the fuck is this again? Yeah, like, it's, That it's, is exactly it. Turns out you don't need to do 6.30 Sky Twister presses <laughs> to get over. Shocking, I know. After that match, so we'd established that um, they were into this because they were just hooting and hollering through this entire opener. Uh, we got a hardcore uh, tag match, um, Hartley Jackson and Yuki Miyazaki against... Uh, Kohaku and Chris Brooks. Very nice to see Chris Brooks and uh, proof positive that Brooks either facing someone much, much shorter than him or tagging with them is guaranteed gold. And there was like ladder spots and chairs and the finish was a Death Valley bomb onto a fucking wooden stool, which looked very unpleasant. And I could, oh, Abby was next to me and uh, I could see her wincing at various points in this match. I'd let her and James know what to expect. I was like, all right, look, there's going to be death matches on this show, right? They're going to do all kinds of fucked up stuff to each other because I didn't want them to be traumatized by having it come out of nowhere. And I just, we just wanted to reassure them as like, look fundamentally these people are sickos you do not have to do this type of wrestling if you don't want it in fact it's probably better for your career if you don't but they are they're just masochists and they love doing this stuff it's their way of expressing themselves it's a circus of horrors yeah yeah, Yeah, exactly so so they knew there was going to be violence and so this match with the ladder and the chair spots and like abby was wincing at it and i just leant over to her afterwards and was like this isn't even the stuff i warned you about (laughs) um (laughs) This is milk toast. <laughs> this is nothing. Genuinely is, and then and that was there was still some com- uh, comedic bits in that. Um, Asuka and Mao uh, versus uh, Masa Takanashi and uh, Mochi Natsumi. Uh, again, that had some like comedy bits, and there's some great athleticism on the Asuka Mao tag team, as you can imagine. Uh, Eve International Title Match: uh, You versus uh, Hiragi Karumi. Real fucking human conquers uh, match that was. That was really good actually, and they they had me going because I was just like. Look, I know you's not dropping this belt because it's like a UK belt. She's established in the UK. Karumi isn't. But when Karumi came off the top rope with the splash for the second time, like, I really bit on that. And again, this is a kind of wrestling that it's very easy for new people to understand. It's like, right, all right, these two lasses are both really big. They're going to hit each other really hard. Got it? Good. Right. <laughs> so It's all um, you truly need, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. And you, you can see how as this card was going on, it was gradually getting more serious. Then we had two more matches. And the semi-main was the one that... 
we were most interested in, I think. So this was a, a intergender light tube death match. Uh, Suzu Suzuki versus Jun Kasai. This match was firstly horrendous. Secondly, absolutely brilliant. Even Sarah, who is not a deathmatch fan and in fact actively averse to deathmatches most of the time, was like, this is one of the best matches we saw the entire time we were there. I have to ask, I'm very conscious of this. How many light tubes did they use? It wasn't the full it wasn't the full two hundred, but it was like several dozen. There was a lot of light tubes. Cause you you, you are aware that like I, I seen him. Um, Ainsley had posted me a while ago, so like they banned light tubes in Japan in 2019. They're no longer allowed to make them, so they've been running in reserves the last four years, and have had to start like doing like donation drives for light tubes because like, they can't buy them. Is this like you and the cans of original recipe iron brew that you've been holding? It genuinely <laughs> is right. But the best thing was is last month on a freedom show they had a giant box of light tubes and someone yeeted them across the, the across the ring. Uh, across the floor and just smashed all of them and it's like a good a solid like two months worth of light tube which is senseless waste completely gone and you're like in a couple of, in a couple of months maybe a year or two they look back going i really shouldn't have chucked that box <laughs> we could really have used them yeah i mean the the, the the woke police taking the light tubes away uh just because they're awful for the environment and very dangerous i love carcinogens <laughs> yeah but apart from that yeah it is really interesting though when you see this because as as is perhaps well documented over both big egg and the wider puro puri podcast like i don't do death matches like they they just they squick me out just a little bit too much especially like there are levels of extremity that are sometimes hit in death matches where I'm just like, no, there's no, there's no argument in the world you can make for why I should not hit everything that I'm seeing. Um, so the fact that you know, if a death match kind of really grabs my attention, it's doing something really special, and it, it's when you've when you've already sat down and like one of the things that I said to um, to Abby and James whilst George was giving them kind of the the oral history of prominence was I I was like seriously. All of these women quit all their jobs to be able to do this type of match. Like none of them have to do this. They're just they, they are just crazy enough to want to do it. And then that's actually love it again. yeah, exactly. Then that's actually it's kind of that story was then kind of really quite beautifully dramatized actually in the story of her of Suzu standing up to to Jun Kasai being one of the people who's done so much to to inspire her to get into that line of work um but also it's the perfect like david and goliath plucky baby face uh, over the top heel oh it was just perfect like genuinely the way it was done yes it was horribly violent but when you've got that story at the front of your mind of the fact that this is a woman who wants to prove that she is every bit as violent and every bit as nasty as the idols that she grew up with it worked phenomenally well and i don't think it's made me a deathmatch fan but i think it's made me a Death matches, but only in these specific scenarios, type of fan, if that kind yeah, of makes sense. It was it was really well worked. Like I mean, Suzu Suzuki is is fantastic. We all know this. Oh, Jun Kasai is he's got a lot of miles on the clock. He's like forty eight, but he knows what he's about. He knows what he's capable of, and like he's 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 a great storyteller. Um, there was this moment after the match where because uh, like Kasai, obviously one of um, Suzu's idols, um, presented her with this bouquet of flowers. And she looked, re- she looked really touched by it. It was a genuinely emotional moment. They're, they're like bleeding profusely from like various cuts on their bodies. But they're, they're just 
it's it, it genuinely beautiful and uh, affecting moment. Um, yeah, lovely. Like clear, clear, like the mutual respect uh, between them. And I, I, I made, I made this point. Um, the uh, when I wrote about this for a marshmallow bomb, but uh, you know the Junkasai who was just you know been stabbing her with glass and stuff like that is actually showing her far more respect than the people who are like oh don't do you're too pretty to do death matches uh, brigade because uh, they are out there they could be walking among you at any moment but yeah it was it was a really good match she cut a promo afterwards which turned out to be an announcement she was actually leaving prominent i assume to uh take the uh take the stardom coin uh to bend the knees to rossi agao as uh, so many people are are doing and you know what good luck to her and she says she's not going to graduate from death matches so we uh, apparently have more of this to uh, look forward to slash watch through your eyes, uh, uh, watch through your hands in the future. I, I, I'm really interested to see what they do with it because I mean, I mean, I was going to ask you, Sarah, like in terms of death matches, what are your thoughts on this sort of big temple AEW sort of Moxley <sighs> death matches? Is that too much for you, or do you enjoy them? Mm, I, I, it's very much on a case by case basis. I think um, Mox is a really interesting example because. I do think that the word diluted um, does not necessarily feel like the right word to use in the context of this much blood, but the amount that he bleeds at this point and the frequency with which he bleeds actively feels like it's detracting from the significance of those occasions when he works the really violent matches. So I think it's, he's, I think, a bit harder to get behind, to, to be completely honest. Some of those matches, like... Um, so the 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 Britt Baker Thunder Rosa like the light the lights out match, um, which was pretty violent, but you know probably nowhere near on the par of some of the other matches that we'd be talking about. But fundamentally, Britt Baker loses the fight, but she's wearing the full crimson mask, and at the end of the day, that's kind of really one of the important milestones on her kind of way to being a star. That worked for me, and I think probably because it it did what it needed to in terms of a story. And I think some of the big AEW matches are frankly leaning into it because they mm. know that there's a bunch of internet fuckboys out there who are just kind of like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. And I'm there, right? <laughs> a rare W for the fuckboys there, eh? But they end up going <laughs> much further than they need to go in, you know, and it gets to a point where I feel like the story is actually lessened for that. The main event of this prominence show, I think, is a case in point where it just, it did less for me because cocktail skewers in the head nobody needs cocktail skewers in the head and it, it's just it's so cringe that i kind of i can't enjoy the match quite as much because i'm thinking oh my god that hurts so much i, I think also seeing two death matches in a row um maybe lessens the effect like that's true because we were we were looking at this car's like oh there's two death matches so i mean what are they going to do while they're cleaning up the ring and the answer was just not going to clean up the oh, ring. Yeah, like, they didn't all care. the broken glass from the light tube match yeah. still there um so they're just taking bumps into it from the outset um, in this fine. in this main uh, yeah, so... the one thing that I will always like literally it doesn't matter what the match is it, the minute this co the, the minute this particular weapon comes out I'm absolutely done and that's syringes like absolutely fuck that fuck that not only because it's unpleasant but also because it's in genuinely very bad taste um, that's just a bunch of things that I absolutely hate all combining into one like particularly nasty puddle that's a very much a no from me I it's it's interesting, right? Because yeah. obviously you mentioned big death, death matches. I mean, obviously like, I'm a big Anita fan and stuff like that. I enjoy that sort of thing. But I I love the, the, the Anita matches because they have a sense of spectacle about them, and yeah. there's a a pomposity to them that befits the stipulation. And I think that one of one of my issues with death match wrestling in Japan, I I feel that death match wrestling in Japan is far far better than American 
death match wrestling. I, I just don't. I just don't really mess with American death match wrestling. It's too seedy. I think it's all in like VFW halls to like forty people. And, and you know what? The violence is the point. Yeah, I think the issue for me is that, and it's the same in most death match places, is that, and this kind of brings it back to the the light tube famine that we're mm-hmm. currently going through at the moment of. You need a bit of variety. Well, sure, the light tubes dying off should have been an opportunity for you to go, right, what else can we do instead of using 40,000 light tubes? Yes. Um, and, you know, that it's an opportunity for creativity because the whole thing with creativity is that you kind of, you box yourself in and you make constraints and then you work your way around the constraints. Whereas if you don't have any constraints, you don't have anything to work around, so you're actually less creative. Yeah. This is why the best light tube related match that I've ever seen is the single light tube death match between Asuka and Akina. There has to be a retirement match with the light tube, which is one light tube. The last, the last ever the last light, light tube. tube in Japan is going to be the DDT Iron Man Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> yes. And then he's going to vacate the belt when he gets smashed over Junkazai's head or something like that. <laughs> but um, for me, with that, you know, it, it's all about creativity. I, I, I have. Uh, no, my philosophy in wrestling is that anything can be wrestling if you can construct it in a great way. Anyone can have a great wrestling match. All three of us can have a great wrestling match if you have someone who can work a wrestling match with you, regardless of our training or skill. That's why you get stuff like you know Floyd Mayweather versus the Big Show yeah. and stuff like that. You know, or Floyd Mayweather quite clearly isn't a wrestler, but you know he, he has something about him and he gets it and can you know he, he can work it. I, I think that it's same with what weapons, where weapons can be used in any context. I mean, do you know? Do you remember the um, Big Show versus Alberto Del Rio match at Royal Rumble where they used light tubes? <laughs> yeah. Um, stuff like that, yeah. And then it was a CZ dub chant. Um, that was quite funny. But the thing is, is that that works in WWE because it was the only ever time that they used them. So like when you used it, it was genuinely shocking. Yeah. Oh my God, they've used a light tube. It's incredible. Whereas if you're using 400s in a match and then having a second match of another 200 on there, it's kind of, yeah, I've seen this, I've done this. And there is, you know, there's opportunity to do stuff with like light tubes and do spots and things like that. And any any weapon can realistically be used in a creative manner. It's just about how you actually execute it. The thing I like about the, the sort of big AEW temple matches and stuff like that is that they are used sparingly. Like, I mean, I mean, I say sparingly, basically anytime boxing has a big match, but even then, maybe they're kind of diluting it a little bit, as you said, because they're using it so much, but they were using different things each time in different spots and working different matches. It wasn't just the same death match over and over again. So, like when you watch a match with one death, a show with one death match on, it's far better than a show with two death matches on it or three yeah. because it, it, it sticks out. And yeah, um, I, I'm I'm just intrigued to see like you know with that because that's why I love the EW things is because it means something and it has a place and it's unique. Um, until Moxie does like his fortieth this year, but you can be a ghoul, but you know, you know, it's the same as any wrestling. You know, you don't just love all rings matches unreservedly. You know, it's going to be the same with death matches. You're not going to love every death match because you're going to watch them. Go, I've seen this before, and but I, I feel that prominence and like it is has been really good with it because this is the point I was making because I've just trailed off for five minutes. But the fact that you're going to stardom, the thing I like about EW is it's a it's a, not a family show, but it, it's a show, a mainstream show on a television platform, which has root constraints in terms of what you can and can't mm. do. And AEW skirt close to the the edge with that and use it to their advantage for shock effect at time. And I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Stardom do it, you know, that they are a far, a far different company from Prominence or other places. 
in terms of how they integrate it, I think it's going to be really. Oh great. yeah, and even like a far different company from when they did the the, the world's tamest exploding bat death match, uh, with uh, uh, Tam and uh, and uh, Io Shirai, uh, teaming up. So yeah, that that that's certainly going to be interesting. I think that AEW has already gotten to a point where it's diluted those big matches for me. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to change just because the style of match is going to change a little bit, potentially depending on who ends up at the top of the card on the different shows over the next few months. You know, I don't think, um, you know, CM Punk will certainly do the, the odd blade job from now and then, but his style is definitely going to be a bit softer than Mox's at this point, for example. It's a weird one because, yeah, I think you're right. Prominence and a lot of Japanese death matches in general, there's a sense of creativity. Tournament of Death, for example, in the US, the violence is the point. The sleaze is kind of the point of it. And it's all about who can do the most stupid thing in front of an audience. What I want to see is the kind of storytelling that you get in a Suzu Suzuki versus Jun Kasai match, where everything is done for a reason and everything matters. And then the violence becomes part of something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And uh, yeah, and I thought I thought the I thought the main uh, was uh, was good. I think it was as good as the semi main. But uh, so yeah, it was a uh, uh, there was some lot of involvement from uh, Freedoms in this. It was a uh, Risa Sera, Takashi Sasaki, and Valento Jack who made the right decision by wearing a shirt. Let me tell you, against uh, Akane Fujita. Uh, Masashi Takeda, who I'm really glad I got to see, he was like quite high up my bucket list, and uh, Takumi Tsukamoto. Um, and I quite liked at the end where the blokes kind of weren't even trying to like you know stop each other getting in the ring to break up the fall. They were literally just standing at the on the outside, just watching the women go at it. So that really did a lot to kind of put them center stage. So uh, yeah, um, big big thumbs up for prominence. Our friends absolutely loved it. It was uh, uh, a highlight of their trip. So um, James yeah, really... genuinely looked a bit shell shocked. At the end. I mean, I'm like, not fucking surprised. He, I, I believe his words were, "Yeah, let's go outside, and then you can tell me what the hell that was." <laughs> but, but, See, but in a good yeah. way. Um, so we we did. So we went went to do some sightseeing. Uh, the next few days, our next show was actually um on the Saturday, uh, 29th of April. Uh, back to Corrigan again, and this was a show by uh, Diana. This was a strange one because um we don't really watch Diana like ever. It's certainly not at the top of our list of favourite promotions when, you know, on the odd occasions they do make tape, release Arja Kong versus Sari right, right, right goddamn now. But um, it, it was high up our list of promotions to see because they do employ some of the legends from the 80s and the 90s, you know, the people we were actually talking about when we did Big Egg Podcasting Universe. You know, people myself and Sarah really idolise. So I thought, well, if we go to see this, we'll get to see Kyoko in a way. We'll get to see Jaguar Yakota. We'll maybe get to meet them, which Sarah did. Uh, Sarah, tell tell everyone about what happened when you did that. So, our story begins when we wander into Corrigan Hall and I'm trying to figure out exactly which one of these queues is people just trying to get into the building, which one of these queues is the queue for the merch tables, and which one of these queues is the queue for a merch table that seems to just have a random person standing at it. Now, I assume that the one with the random person standing at it is probably just the queue for, like, tickets. Or maybe it's the queue for, oh, my God, that's Kyoko Inoue at the desk next to it. Holy shit, that's Kyoko Inoue. Red alert, red alert, that's Kyoko Inoue. What it actually turns out is that 15 minutes after standing in this queue, the queue with the random person at the front of it is actually the queue for Unagi, um, and who, who was on that show wrestling Kyoko Inoue on the day. Sayaku Unagi was not even at the merchandise strand. <laughs> no, and she had not. the longest she had the longest queue, like by a country mile. It was genuinely she is so over, like all over the place. And it was, you know, it was mostly people who looked like they were like 
dads um but also like when we got into the audience i think it was kind of quite surprising like there were like kids sat behind us cheering for her but genuinely the extent to which inagi sayaka seems to have completely overtaken like a section of the joshi scene really really surprised me so then i figured out that you know the best way to do this was to maybe take one step to the left into the sort of amorphous mass of people which actually seemed to be the cue for kyoko anyway at which point i was thinking i've got to buy merchandise oh but it's japanese t-shirts like japanese sizing they're not going to have anything to fit me what am i going to get oh okay she's got towels i'll buy a towel instead and then I was like, oh, but the towels are more expensive than the T-shirts. Oh, no, this is a terrible decision. Anyway, long story short, I was in the queue because I wanted to meet and speak to Kyoko Inoue. I spent £30 on a towel, listeners. <laughs> this better be the best towel ever. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still in the wash. I'll report back because I haven't actually used it yet. No, no. When I've washed it and I've actually used it, uh, you know, I will uh, I will share with the world whether it was like money well spent. But bearing in mind that like I was I've Spoilers. been I've been lucky it enough wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've been lucky enough to go to Wimbledon a couple of times and I have never looked at the like Christy like Egyptian cotton whatever it is Wimbledon branded towels that they sell for thirty five quid a piece and thought. That seems reasonable. Like, I have always looked at them and gone, come on, guys, that's so much money for a towel. And here I am, like, making flash decisions in the queue in, like, a small, in what seems to be, like, a small, like, from Monday to Friday, it could be a cantina, like, just a side room at Corican Hall, being like, yeah, I'll spend 30 quid on a towel. Look at her. She's got the face paint on and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to be fair, a lot of other Japanese clothes, like, were not going to fit me anyway. So in the end, I was like, you know what? Take a punt on this. You might not buy much else. Like, treat yourself. So I spent 30 quid on a Diana towel. But you know what? I got to get my photo taken with Kyoko. Kyoko. <laughs> and the crowd still chants that for us sometimes as well. It was oh. absolutely delightful. I was just going to ask, what, what day did you go to Diana on? It was a Saturday. Saturday, twenty ninth of April. Did you buy a Diana towel on the, the day that King Charles? Got no, no, it was, no, the, that, week that was the week before. Yeah, it was oh. the week before that. Not saying I didn't think about it. A political protest, like wearing a carcass shirt to the cavern. Um, so we did. Although I did not buy the Diana towel on the weekend of Charles's coronation, I did see um, it, it was the weekend before. And it was also the time when I saw the uh, the Queen Elizabeth Championship being defended. So, you know, I was entirely on the uh, all the people trying to take Charles's shine away, if you will. And you know why we did this? One of the key reasons why we did this show, Jaguar fucking Yukata, that's why. Yes. A woman who has passed 60 defended her title on this show, and I shit you not, she did a flip off the apron to the floor on, onto one of her dance partners. I just looked at that and was just uh, and was bowled over by the fact that any woman who, and I can't stress this enough, originally retired in 1985, <laughs> is still is doing that in 2023. She's a goddess. Literally started wrestling in the 1970s. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So then I I got in another insane queue for her afterwards because I was like, if she's not there, I'm not buying anything. But if she is there, then I have to talk to her. I just have to. I have to. And this was how I discovered that you know what? It turns out there are some Japanese sizes that fit me because I was just going to have to buy a Jaggy Wee Coat T-shirt regardless. And if it didn't fit, then it didn't fit. Fortunately, frame it. Yeah. Well, I got it home and I I got it home and like it does actually fit. Problem is, obviously, she signed the sleeve, so. And the thing when people sign these things is that that's lovely, but it does make you feel a little bit weird about wearing them because you know eventually that marker's going to wash off. Uh, and you're like, but also I bought that T-shirt to wear. So, you know, I, I have complicated feelings about this. 
in the same way that at King of Trios in 2017, I bought a Mako Satomura shirt and then she signed it. And then I realised I couldn't wear it because she signed it. So I went back the next night and bought another Mako Satomura <laughs> shirt. But they'd run out of them in my size, so I had to buy the wrong size. So now I wear the shirt that's a size too big. I, I see those, you know, some, some kids that uh, sit at Far Hill quite close to where some of my friends sit whenever I go see them. And they have like a signed Stuart Bannigan shirt that they clearly got all at the end of one of the seasons. And every time this kid is wearing it, I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? Why is that outside of the house? You're going to spell <laughs> I am brew on this or some shit. And then you're going to absolutely ruin it. So I, I know your pain. Yeah. So, uh... Essentially, the main thing to take away from this is that wrestling fans spend silly amounts of money and wrestling fans make bad financial decisions when there is an opportunity to meet a legend. Oh, yeah, but we knew that going in. But enough about the money yeah. marks. <laughs> so, I'm um, such a money mark. I think the show is probably the weakest we saw, but, I mean, it was still a good time. The uh, the, the the opener was... I, I didn't realise what the stipulation was until about halfway through. So it was a 12-woman tag match, which doesn't seem economically sensible to me. Um, so deep, deep breath, Kahoko Riyashi, Karyoni Amamura, and Miyuki Takase, Nanami, and Rina Amakura versus Ayumi Sasamura, Deborah Kay, Hanako Nakamori, Himiko Makoto, and Sai. So the gimmick... <laughs> so the gimmick of this was that it was a captain's full match. So we we all know what that is, but they um they decided the captains by a lottery uh before the before the uh show and but the gimmick was that no one on the teams knew who the captains were, so they were just pinning people and then it was being told they weren't the captain they were like ah and like that's I've never seen that stipulation before that's that was uh I said great spinning the gimmick I love it's that. ludicrous it's so much fun yeah I mean it, it was very silly um. Uh, Ik- Ikuto Hidaka, him battle arts alumnus here, and uh, Tiger Queen, who is definitely not Venny under a mask, against Miko Kawahata and uh, Super Tiger, Real Japan Pro Wrestling represents. I like Super Tiger, he's, he's a fat guy, does martial arts, one of my favourite things in wrestling. Um, <laughs> uh, tag title match, Mike Ozaki and Tae Homma versus Takeru Sakaguchi and Madeline. I thought this was really good. This is um, maybe that the best tag good. match we saw. Mike Ozaki did this spot where she had someone one of her parents can't remember which in a fireman's carry and then she like while still on her shoulders flipped her over into the torture rack it was so impressive very strong woman very strong woman yeah that that was that was a really good match i enjoyed that a lot and then uh we got the match that sarah alluded to earlier i think most of the crowd were here to see this kokono versus unagi sayaka so when the card was announced this one immediately jumped out at me uh in a sort of well firstly it's like okay unagi's here i mean she seems to be everywhere nowadays apart from stardom uh but also um, what's this match going to look like in the year of our Lord 2023? It is a Kyoko Inoue singles match. Um, you know, is she going to bump at all? She's got a lot of miles on the clock. Um, she took more bumps in about the first minute of this than I, I thought she would. I genuinely thought Unagi was going to put her away within like two minutes because she hit her with like two downward spirals, a bunch of other shit. And, um, but then uh, Kyoko kicked out and then they did it turned into a sort of like uh, brawl around the arena. Um, David, remember when I said earlier that um, someone we saw was going to do the Mayu Iwatani uh, fall down the stairs spot? And, you know, we've got uh, Unagi Sayaka in this match, you know, a stardom alumna. Um, so the, the person who did the fall down the stairs spot was, of course, Kyoko in a way. Absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing. And I will say this, we were genuinely sort of thinking, so this is just going to be a, this is going to be just a, a pulverising, right? Kyoko Inoue brought her bumping boots. Like she was really, she really put in a shift. It feels like Unagi's at a point now where she's just, she seems to have gotten like the seal of approval from 
some of the biggest names in in Joshi, and they they really getting behind her because Chigas is a big fan as well. Yeah, I mean the the thing is about Unagi is, and I mean, look, it, it takes it takes two to tango. Um, uh, Kyoko Inoue certainly had her working boots on in this match. The atmosphere was helped as well because it was. It was the match people were here to see. It was the by far the most overmatch on the night. It was the uh, the dueling chance of Kyoko Mums and Unagi Simps um, in in the crowd. But and the thing about Unagi is, right? Look, she's she's never going to be one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. But having seen her live, I completely get it. Like she's got the charisma. She's got the it factor, for want of a better phrase. Like yeah. like she she is great. She's she is an attraction, and that's really like lots of different companies are using her really well as this kind of interloper who is you know if she's in marvelous she can rub up against um you know the uh the hard bitten philosophy of a takumi roha for instance um and just she can like be impudent against the legends like uh, kyoku in a way she could be somewhere else doing just like really silly shit um like she i think she's uh proven her versatility uh, quite a lot, and I think it's, it's only going to be good for her career, this uh, this whole Yanni era thing. Yeah. This is going to be a, a weird comparison, but I would liken it to the band Kiss. Have you ever seen the band Kiss live? Um, no, no, but my, no. my youngest cousin first saw them live when she was about 11 and absolutely adores them. Like, she and her mum both went and both had an amazing time for different reasons. Feels like it's a little bit that kind of appeal. So my sister is an obsessive Kiss fan, right? She loves Kiss. And um, a couple of years ago, she asked me, I says, oh, will you, she doesn't like going to gigs by, uh, by herself. She said, David, will you come with me to Kiss? Okay, right, we'll go. I, I you know, I like Kiss. They're all right. I wouldn't listen to them. You know, I'm not I'm not putting them on or anything, but you know they're perfectly fine. I I know Crazy Nights, it's a good song, you know. And they went and they were utterly incredible. Absolutely blew me away. A a, a hardened cynic who was there on a free ticket to get smashed on times. <laughs> and I didn't even get that smashed, but I absolutely loved it. And I will never I'll never get a better moment with the band Kiss than that. That was the the peak and everything after that you know is below they are utterly incredible live i haven't listened to them since i probably will never listen to them again however if they if they came to glasgow and i got a free ticket by god am i going um because they are they are so so good and i think it's that sort of thing of they're not they're not permeating your consciousness every day but when when you you get the full brunt of them they they blow you away. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, that I was that, that was certainly the case here. So yeah, no, con- consider me converted vis-a-vis Unagi Sayaka. Um, then mm. we had the uh, the aforementioned Queen Elizabeth title match, Jaguar Kota against Kazuki, and uh, here's a here's a name for you, Megumi Yabushita, who has uh, done a work shoot against Svetlana Gundovenko. Um, so uh, she did a spot where she did a spot where she judo through the other two at the same time. I was like, never seen that before. It was really cool. And then the main was, um, uh, we actually got a title change on this show. Um, Ayako Sato dropping the um, Diana belt to uh, Haruka Umisaki, who, um, again, someone who's uh, clearly a master following for herself. Uh, this was a really good match. Maybe a little long, but I think it uh, it was certainly a worthy main event. Like, Sato had uh, missed a show a week prior because of a knee injury. Uh, you really wouldn't have known that she was uh, she was working her because like, she really uh, put her back into it. So, uh, yeah, I th- thought this was a really good main event. As somebody who didn't really know 
anything about the competitors to be honest like diana is absolutely like a, a blind spot for me in wrestling as i think probably it is for a lot of people I, I would like to see that change now based on that experience of that show that main event i think for me went a few minutes too long if it had finished five near falls earlier I think that would probably have done it for me. I think that would have been all it took. I just think it went, the stretch maybe just went a little bit too far and became a little bit spammy. Um, although I suppose in context, you know, there's probably an argument for that. You've got a very dominant champion who's eventually going to lose, who's eventually kind of losing her crown. I can see why there'd be an appeal in kind of making that feel like an epic. It, it kind of, it just drove, it just, dragged a little bit too much at the end but up until then like they'd absolutely done the work to make it feel earned so yeah absolutely um enjoyed that and basically discovered wrestlers that i want to go and see more of now as well and to be honest i don't think i can give it higher praise than that oh here's the other thing um they they announced uh five new trainees uh before the show is probably doubling the size of the roster um what one of them is a huge unit so that's obviously obviously good news at least two of them appear to be actual children as in, like, elementary school age. Um, oh, so get, get a handicap match sorted now. <laughs> big yeah. unit against the two children. Yes. They brought them all out to sort of, like, say hello and introduce themselves right at the start of the show. And, and Kyoko brought them out. And then basically they started with the oldest or, or the largest one and then worked their way downwards through the like progressively smaller children who said less and less each time because obviously they're a bit less confident. But then you've got this very tiny one at the far end who's really obviously like doing this as an after school club or something like that. And and she just like everything that she says, it's like she doesn't say very much, but she sounds so cute. You can just basically hear the audience going, oh, as she speaks. And I'm like, when that child wins a title one day, she's going to remember that all of you awed her. I mean, we 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 yeah. got greeted by um, a couple of the trainees on our way in, and they were like doing tickets and uh, and stuff like that. And we were just like, "Are these like?" Because I didn't I didn't recognise them. I was like, "Are these so these surely these like someone's daughters, right?" Like, because uh, obviously there's a lot of veterans on the roster. Like, someone's brought their daughters to work. Uh, I was like, "Surely these aren't actual trainees." That one looks about eight. I was like, "Well, no, it turns out." I'm hoping they they don't go down the the NXT route, remember when it got to a point where nobody could get a ticket for a takeover because all the seats were filled with new rookies being debuted on camera. <laughs> um, uh, no, just 14,000 new, new guys for the PC and, that, and nobody can get a They're ticket. all the hottest hottest free agent in wrestling. So moving on from Diana, our third show, there's the only one actually not at Corgan Hall, uh, 1st of May, we had to do this, didn't we? Uh, Choco Pro at Ichigai Chocolate Square, the Theatre of Dreams. So glad we got to see that and... Um, also, even better, uh, because Emi Sakura was going back to uh, America to do three-minute matches on AEW Dark for a few months, uh, they did a rumble to uh, to see her. I was like, fuck, we're actually going to be there for a Choco Pro rumble? Like, this is Lovely amazing. Stuff. I, I'm, I'm going to put this out here. I just, I just want to get your opinion on it. You're obviously a big football cliches listener. Yes. George, is actually Chocolate Square a cathedral of wrestling? Oh, ab- absolutely. Uh, because, you know, and I think there's... Uh, well, I, I've been to Guernsey before, and they've literally got the certified smallest church in the world there. Like, it's not a chapel, it's a church, because it's been consecrated as a church and everything. That's very important in Glasgow, yeah. if it's and, a chapel or a and, church. And also, like, you know, some things you think would be a cathedral aren't, because, um, you know, the Sagrada Familia was only actually consecrated in, like, 2011. It had been built for about 50 years, and no one had got around to like, should we maybe just make this actually a legit cathedral at some point? Yeah, no rush uh, from the Vatican guys, obviously, but... Um... I found out last week that Motherwell has a cathedral. 
you seen this thing going to Mother Walker Cathedral? I'm like, fuck off. No way. <laughs> what? And it turns out, yep, they have, it has like the loudest organ in Western Europe. Oh, there you, there um, you go. Get, get in there yeah. and play jump on it. <laughs> Wild. I think it's the loudest Catholic organ in Western Europe. You know, it's like, oh, this is the the biggest gold streak for an 18-year-old from Watford in the, in the Skybet <laughs> Championship for the last six years. It was that sort of thing, but it was the loudest Catholic organ in in Western Europe, but yeah. So, uh, uh, two match card, which is uh, short even for Gatto Move. The opener was uh, this is pure fucking Gatto Move. This is this is pure sacrilegism. Uh, the setup open weight title was on the line, which is the uh, main belt in this uh, company from Thailand that was uh, basically set up to replace Gatto Move after they stopped running shows in Thailand. Uh, Mateo Takanashi, who we saw before, against a guy called Shivam, who is uh, from uh, is from Thailand. Um, I, I haven't checked this because I'm too lazy, but I would bet everything I own he has wrestled Big Sam and or Uncle Money in MKW. <laughs> <laughs> um he was he was good. I, I I really enjoyed him. Like he was uh, like a good, good solid big man and this and this shows you this shows you that it is a cathedral. They worked a real classic like champion versus underdog title match on a mat in a pharmacy in front of seventy people. Uh, like it was, it was great, and it was really kind of it was beautifully run. In that, I think there's there's a tension in Ichigaya Chocolate Square with the fact that anything that is actually remotely serious happening in the inherently hilarious context of Ichigaya Chocolate Square is a really difficult line to tread. But that you know they carried themselves in a way that they were like, yes, all right, we're in a former pharmacy and we're on a mat on the floor, and like to them it is so significant. Like I think they did a really good job of kind of almost getting over their surroundings and working with them considering the fact that you know it's a completely it's almost a different discipline like the way you've got to control your body to stop yourself from accidentally kicking people when the ring is so much smaller the fact that you know shivam in particular was on his third match in ichigaya and he didn't kick me in the face despite me being on the front row was like as far as i'm concerned that is the mark of a true pro like well, we, we did get uh, aki actually warned us before the uh shows like look he's, he's it's his third time here he, he might uh pretty much a kayfabe explanation for it like he's really pumped up because it, it's his title match like he might whack you in the knees um but actually but even before that we had um uh, Chio Kirishikawa came out to like read out the rules and spotted us being Westerners and uh, I think she was trying to gauge our level of um, understanding and she just went uh, Japanese, English uh, and I just went hesitantly in my quite crap Japanese Chotto Nihongo Kaimas and she went English okay and then just started um, <laughs> doing it in English and I was like cool that's me told um, <laughs> her English is you you wouldn't describe her as being fluent either no, but she was no, doing she... a bit but I think she did a good job of getting the key messages across to us so you'd potentially like there'd be like a 30 second spiel in Japanese and then she'd essentially come to us and with a combination of like half a dozen words of english and a few hand gestures you picked up the meaning like yeah. very well actually our uh our, our friend darren um helped with uh, the explanation he's like he's one of three people i bumped into that i didn't know we was going to be in japan at the time and like he's he's involved in the wrestling scene in uh, singapore and he was over for this he had one of the window seats uh also uh, bumped into can of sprite man um outside of korokan prominence and also bumped into some guy i know from the mahjong circuit at the tokyo equivalent of the science museum really fucking weird uh but yeah this this opener was uh it was great fun and then we had uh rumble 
which was everyone else who was there. Um, so your lineup uh, Kiko Kirahara, who ended up being the winner, uh, Andrew Tang, aka The Statement from uh, SPW, uh, Balianaki, Chie Koshikawa, Emi Sakura, uh, Kevin Koo, who was over for the um, uh, Deadlock Pro Wrestling Gato Move crossover shows that they were doing um, earlier in the week, uh, Mesa Ruga, Mia Yotsuba, and Sayaka Obahiro. Andrew Tang has got a great gimmick. He just crouches down a bit, extends his arms, and goes, Yeah! <laughs> This was so over. It's all you need. It's all you need. <laughs> it genuinely is. <laughs> well, like... it was really, it was really over because he did it so often that basically he memed it into relevance. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the same way that Chris Jericho, just by playing Judas loads, somehow got it over. Like he's basically done the same thing. We're just going. <laughs> and also, great. when you turn into a, or, or also when you when you start doing a, a like like tag moves with Miss Ruger and then she just starts doing it with you, you can get literally anything up because she will make it hilarious. Oh, oh also, um, I uh, Emmy came out with her uh, Deadlock uh, Pro Wrestling uh, women's title and like I had to hold it for like the first quarter of an hour of this match because she wanted <laughs> to do a spot with it um, later in the match. So she just gave it to me like, you hold this. And, uh, <laughs> I just had this like quite heavy belt on my lap trying not so to drop it. Um just feeling like Christian before Extreme Rules 2011. <laughs> <laughs> I can't touch the belt. I'll, I'll not defeat Alberto Del Rio for it. So um, yeah, this was this was great fun. Like we we laughed our asses off. Like there was so, so much good. fun stuff in this match. Like you can watch it on the YouTube. It's Choco Pro 309, I think. Well, well worth your time. Um, I was I I did post on Twitter beforehand. Like, hey, I'm going to see a, a Choco Pro Rumble, and someone replied to it who clearly hadn't seen one before. Like, do they get eliminated by being chucked out the window? I was like, they absolutely do, my friends. It was me. I think it was me. <laughs> I it was just a bit get on yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, that was brilliant. So the the show was pretty short as as to. I think we spent as much time um at the signing after the show uh, than we did actually watching the show. It was longer. Did they still hand out the tea? No, they don't do that anymore, presumably because of COVID. But we like we had the uh, we had the checkies and like the merch Thank and uh, and uh, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that tea is horrific. <laughs> the point where I was largely like waiting for George's various checkies and getting them signed and everything. Like the merch setup is quite different um, at Gato Move to any of the other shows that I'd, I'd been to. So the queuing for the checkies, which is basically the Polaroid pictures, and then the queuing up again to for the wrestler to sign them takes a long time, especially when they've only got a couple of cameras. So they're doing a couple of people at a time. So you're waiting. A while for your person to be called and then it's it's a very time consuming process so the show itself was about an hour and a quarter we were about an hour and a half queuing for like polaroids and stuff like that um bolt floor is yeah <laughs> i would like to shout out this fella jeff um who we met uh, american fella who lives in japan yes but uh, very nice chap we got talking to him and he's the one who to- told us how all this queuing system works which is good because i wouldn't have had a fucking clue so uh, yeah, none I, of it made any sense so i i Broke my checky virginity uh, on this show, and I never, never bought one before. Uh, but this is clearly how the things went. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll get, I'll get Mesa Ruga. I'll get Chie because I've become a fan of hers because of her, like her presence on this, uh, on this show. How good she was doing the uh, intro, even like not speaking very much English. So I had a chat with Mesa Ruga. We talked about how I'd like seen her before in in London when she when she come to wrestle here, and uh, so I had a little chat about that, and then had a chat with uh, Chie. So I. 
now maybe we're going to speak speak some English if you've ever, if you've ever watched her uh, English streams where she's like studying it. Apple boy, apple yeah, boy, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So she knows how to say apple boy. Uh, Chia, as we mentioned, her English is quite limited. So I was I was speaking to them in both both in Japanese as far as was was possible, and I was, I was trying to sort of, um, think of things to say to uh, say to Chie. and so I, I mentioned I'm here with my partner. She's uh, she's uh, just waiting outside, and then. Uh, she said something which I didn't quite get, but I, w- I was like, oh, hi, hi. And she went, ah, and I was like, okay, what, what have I said yes to? So now it's come to pass that the back of our Polaroid photo has uh, congratulations on your marriage on it. So, mm. I, I guess, so I guess we've got to do it now. It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah. but yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice experience. I think like Gatto movies, one of those, um, it is a little miracle really, because when the pandemic hit, I think a lot of us who follow Japanese wrestling were worried about um, our favourite promotions maybe going under. Um, and Gato Move was, I think, one of them was like, well, fuck it. It's, uh, it's clearly run on an absolute shoestring. Is it going to survive? And actually, not only has it survived doing these No People shows, it has actually thrived. They've really, like, they've done a good job, you know, monetizing the content. Uh, they've built this little fan community the around the show, doing all the live streams, all the content. They've, they've genuinely done uh, really well. We got to talk to Aki as well um, after the show, which was, uh, which was nice. Yeah, that was great. I got to thank him, actually, and that was a, not something that I'd necessarily gone there saying, oh, you know, I must thank Aki for, you know, all of the work that he does with translating and everything because it opens up so much more of kind of what's happening in Joshi and especially with Gato Move. You know, I didn't I didn't intend to be like, I must tell Aki how appreciated that is and how important it is for like the spread of kind of Joshi in the English speaking world. But, you know, he made a point of coming up to us after the show and asking whether we'd enjoyed it or not or any, and everything. I had a really nice chat with him and, I, you know, it became quite an important thing for me to be like, and actually, yeah, thank you. You, you don't realise always necessarily kind of how important that kind of role is. I do think, you know, between them, he and Brooks have done so much in terms of kind of making that storytelling that this tiny little room, which frankly doesn't make any sense sometimes even when you explain it, it you know, they've done such a good job of kind of basically getting Gato move over with people who don't always necessarily pick up on everything that's going on. It's been huge, actually. I think Aki is absolutely crucial to Gato move success, certainly in the English-speaking world. He's the one of the hardest-working people in the industry. Yeah. He was at the prominent show, like, just seconding books. He wasn't even wrestling. He was just he was just there <laughs> um, just just to hang out, I guess. Uh, oh, we, and we also got to see a Jankin tournament which I was uh, cock-a-hoop about, just over the, over the moon. I was really worried we wouldn't get Jankin. I thought that, like, the, the rumble would have, like, exhausted everybody. I know. We um, know what and... the real main event is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just I was like, oh, my God, we're going to do the Jankin. I was, like, absolutely more excited about that than I was about, like, most other things that happened on our amazing two-week holiday, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, so that was Gato Move. And finally, um, so back to Corrigan, this was on the 5th of may so kind of get, getting towards the uh end of our trip um we had a great idea for uh lunch which did not in fact come to pass on this show which we which i christened the lawson buffet so for the initiated lawson is a chain of convenience stores basically like there's lawson there's family mart and the 7-eleven in japan and now in japan the convenience store food is actually good and stuff you would want to eat and we'd mm. had I, I thought it was good. The curry buns are the fucking truth. So we, I was like, okay, tell you what, let's just buy a load of stuff from the Lawson next to the hotel. And because the the show was an eleven thirty start, 
which is it's kind of an awkward time. It's like, oh, it's going to be done like two, half two. We're going to be absolutely fucking starving. So tell you what, why don't we buy a load of stuff from the Lawson and then we'll just have it during the show. And then we remember because our friend Matt is a madman uh, who he was in charge of buying the tickets. We'd actually got front row. I was like, oh, fuck, well, like, I, I, I do not need the Wrestle Universe cameras picking up me hoeing into an onigiri on camera um, while the show's going on. So it was like, cool, okay, I guess we're not doing this then. But uh, yeah, um, front, front row Corgan, that was, uh, so was the only woman. Um, it's Tokyo Joshi, this is not entirely a surprise. Although there were quite, well, specifically on the front row, yes, there was, Yeah, on the front I row. mean, they do actually have their women's only seating section, which is kind of up on the bleachers, kind of near the, by the commentary box and, and everything. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of people had gone there and then you could really notice like the absence elsewhere. So it probably, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that it was an equal gender split because it absolutely wasn't. But I think having that space obviously makes a difference to the women who attend. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the tickets are very cheap as well. They're like just uh, just over a tenner. Um, so, in um, that section. Yeah, in that section as well. Yeah, yeah the front row. Oh, no. But um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, this, um, this Tokyo Joshi was, I mean, it is our favourite promotion. Uh, so it was top of our list. I'm, I'm, I, I would have, I really would have wanted to see Stardom, but and I thought, oh well, two weeks in Japan and Gold, we, we get to see, we'll get to see Stardom for sure. Uh, but they were just touring parts of the country that were not even within reach for even a day trip, which is a bit mm-hmm. disappointing. But like, we'll, we'll see Stardom another time. But Tokyo Joshi was um, uh, top of our list, and uh, their Corican shows are, you know, reliably very good. We got a Up Up Girls performance. Uh, before the show started, much to our delight. Although it was not upper kick. They didn't do upper kick. Which I had been hoping for, kind of similarly to, like, that guy from the WrestleMania (laughs) weekend. Upper kick, upper kick, upper kick, yeah! (laughs) Like, I was was close to that, and then it was upper kick, upper kick, upper kick. Oh, okay. Uh, Makinakina is a banger. Yeah, all right, I wouldn't argue with that. That's that's their second best song. Very nice. There was actually some musical performances before the Diana show as well. Unfortunately, the PA system at Corkin tends to be ear-bleedingly loud, but I especially liked, uh, I think her name was Mueru, which, who was doing what I can only describe as opera metal. Oh, yeah, and she was dressed like someone whom you could imagine, like, in a fairy tale castle singing metal as well. Like, wholeheartedly supported her. I would have heard more of her voice if the accompaniment hadn't been so loud. Like, it was causing me pain. It's, it's amazing she was able to actually um, get there in time, seeing as she'd been doing a, a 30-day European jaunt supporting Within Temptation. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tanks on Epica's lawn. <laughs> I think that, you know, given given all the things that we saw about the slightly insane state of kind of idols in Japan, I feel like that market is not quite saturated yet. No, indeed, indeed not. So, yeah, we've got the upper girls to start. Undercard of this show, I'd say, was probably not as good as they have. a lot of them have been last year, but that is going to be the case when you introduce a lot of new wrestlers to the promotion in quite uh, quick succession. Himawari versus Shino Suzuki, good, very basic opener. Uh, then we had um, the dream team, Raku, Haru, Neko, and Pom Harajuku, destined to do this <laughs> forever, versus Haifu Misao, uh, Haru, Kazashiro, and Runa Okubo, who are the uh, like middle schoolers who have just debuted. Um, f- fun seeing uh, Haifu Misao just enlist two shithead children to just be heels. I mean, the kids aren't very good yet, but they are kids. I don't think those children are natural-born shitheads. Like, the whole story no. of that match was that Haifu Misao had been left in charge of them because it was Children's Day. She basically decided to corrupt the children and turn oh, them into, like, Haifu yeah. Misao. 
So they were kind of so they were going by like hyper insert name here. So it was all getting it, it was all getting very tense, and it could it could have gone either way because I feel like either of them could happily eat a pin, but then you know anybody on Raku's team you know is also basically expendable. I was like it was a beautifully <laughs> constructed match where anybody could have taken a pin, and just hyper Masara was so much fun. Like we didn't get the kind of the Boris bike experience that we got when she came to when she came to the UK last year, but. She's incredibly silly. Like she was it, I believe, as you referred to her during the Big Egg series, David, a nonsense merchant. <laughs> yes, she's a nonsense merchant. Yes, exactly. She is though. Yeah, um, I think there was a there was a few sort of well, I think I think Neko tweaked her knee um, at one point in the match, and there was a few like the kids didn't really know what to do with um, someone being injured. I mean, they're they're very they're very new, and I could kind of see at the um, you know at the when they're doing the bits where two of them are in the ring, and then these are trying to act like they're trying to stop the other people getting in to like break up the pins and all that i could kind of see raku was like holding back one of the children but kind of not she was just clearly just giving a little pep talk i know it's all right you're doing great oh that's that's kind of sweet um and then yuki kamafuku and wakana uahara versus um hirokiryu and toga pretty decent um they they did fuck the finish but in a way that was kind of interesting so toga um hadn't bent down uh far enough for the fame asser and so they kind of botched it and then Camille was like, I'm gonna well, okay, well this is the finish, it looked crap, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna repeat the spot. And then Toga still hadn't bent down far enough, so instead of doing the move, Camille just forearmed her as if to go, right, <laughs> bend down for fuck's sake. Um, so that was uh, that was very funny and it it kind of uh, I think it kind of aided the finish in a way because uh, like Camille is getting a sort of shit kicker personality across. Toga, um, you know, fucked up finish aside, has got a hell of a, an upside. I think she's only like 20. Uh, she's figured out her thing is just forearming people really hard. And that's going to get over, especially in a promotion where there's not many ass kickers uh, on the roster, to be perfectly honest. I think it speaks really well of kind of how far Camille's come as a wrestler during this period as well. She really made her run with kind of a mid-card title that hadn't done that hadn't necessarily had much potential she kind of gave that belt an identity and a meaning i think this is kind of all part of the same progression is the fact that a couple of years ago she wouldn't have had a clue what to do with somebody not being able to deal with her finish but the fact that now she can improvise and she can come up with alternative finishes and she can do these things on the fly it's just it's really impressive to see how far she's come like can you keep surprising me yeah absolutely she's really improved ever since she had that run with the international princess title exactly and i was just like why the fuck did they put it on her and then she just suddenly became amazing so uh so fair play but yeah all of this was really prelude to the next match and this is when the card really kicked up a notch so team of Hikari Noah, now Kakata and Yuki Aino versus Kayato Ibami, Moko Miyamoto and Ryo Mizunami, good lord Ryo Mizunami is so much fun Mr. Worldwide. Genuinely the atmosphere in the room completely changed when she came out like just the energy completely kind of lifts in the room and partially it's the fact that the music is absolutely great but it's also the fact that when she comes in like she looks different to everybody else she carries herself differently and she comes in and she starts demanding that the crowd start chanting along with her own name and just like it's just a party when she comes in and it's just so much fun to watch her and then obviously she gets in the ring as well and she's obviously so on point she keeps that energy going right the way through Oh yeah, there were chops. I love the the blatant rip off of "Don't Stop the Party" by Mr. Worldwide mm-hmm. that she comes out to. Like it's a great entrance. important life from the most prestigious wrestling venue in Tokyo. <laughs> Long way from the hard way. His bills always know you, etc., etc. Why do you know so much about Pitbull, Dally? <laughs> Shout out to Hikari Noah, by the way, who um, 
So, you know, we were talking about death matches earlier. So uh, four days prior to this show, Hikari Noah had had her first death match. I've seen some pictures of her were posted after the show. Uh, and it was, it was a light tube match. Once again, we're slowly depleting the stock. Um, like, like Gordon Brown with the gold reserves. Uh, we've got... <laughs> there's, there's my one Tory joke of the, uh, of, of the podcast run. Um, so, uh, yeah, she did, did her light tube death match. And yeah, this picture got posted of her, her back absolutely cut to ribbons, just like bleeding out, out of, you know, so many little nicks in her skin. Um, she just had a piece of glass removed from her back now, like three weeks after the match. It's been in there all this time. Like her back looks horrendous. It looks so painful. And she's there just uh head sort of sort of around, uh, smiling at the camera, clearly just so pleased and so proud of herself. And again, one of the things like, yeah, she's covered in blood, like it's genuinely like really emotional and affecting just to see someone, you know, fulfil a dream. Like that was that was really, really nice. Uh, it did mean, however, that she had about five big fucking plasters on her back uh, for this uh, for this match. Like, like, good. I won't lie. It looked tender. It it very probably was because she's got got like the scar tissue on her back of like Junkasai, where she's going to heal pretty much instantly. Like, uh, so um, I mean, good, good lord. Like, um, and they they did work this into the story of the match, like people working over her back. And uh, and stuff like that. So that was uh, that was really good. Mia Watanabe versus Arisu Endo, uh, special single match. Very good stuff here. Uh, Arisu Endo um, is, I think, future Tokyo Princess Champion. Like I think her Easy. ceiling is that high. Um, she's she's fantastic. She's only been in the business a few years. Mia Watanabe is one of the best that Tokyo Joshi have now. Um, and we didn't even get a giant swing from her, uh, which but it, like no no giant swing, no upper kick, but it didn't matter because the match was was so good. And she's someone who really got herself over uh, with her strength spots uh, on the Mania weekend shows. And uh, again, like someone who is going to win the belt, it's a question of when. Uh, rather than if honestly i'm not jumping the gun anyway with because i think miss kate is going to hold that belt for a very long time mm. i don't object if me is the one who takes it from her because i think she's at the right level at this point to be honest and these are the kind of matches where she's so obviously being entrusted to kind of put over some of these young talents as they lose to her now as well like she is a she's a mountain to climb in her own right and i think that she's she's got to be on that kind of the next kind of merry-go-round of people who are going to take that title now that we've kind of seen the breakup of that kind of monopoly that the big three had on the scene. Sky's the limit for both of these people, but I think Miu's kind of already there. Yeah, absolutely. Special tag match. Uh, this was Yuki Arai's second anniversary match. Her teaming with Maki Ito against Shoko Nakajima and Yuki Sakazaki. On paper, I'm, I'm sure that sounds good on paper, and indeed it was good. Again, Yuki Arai, uh, she's got it, hasn't she? Like, God, yeah, absolutely. Very over in the building, obviously, because she's um, she's an idol with uh, SKE48, uh, so she had a name before going into wrestling. Clearly, a lot of people who are fans of the idol group were in there as well because she was uh, really over. And uh, I think because um, this was the first show um, with streamers uh, since before the pandemic, first Tokyo Joshi show. So that was a really good gauge of who was popular. And uh, let me just say, Yuki Arai got a lot of streamers and she got a lot of cheers. She really did. As it should be. Uh, absolutely. Nature is healing, George. <laughs> Nature is healing. It really is. I... It was. It was actually really lovely to see the scale of the, like now that the streamers are back, it was really lovely to see just kind of how excited people were to be able to get involved in that. Both people who were thrilled to be able to throw streamers and just the looks on some of their faces, because especially like some of the newer wrestlers, they've never had streamers. 
So to seem like, especially some of the people on the undercard for whom this is kind of a new and kind of really exciting thing for them, just the looks on their little faces as the streamers came down around them, it was so sweet. Really lovely. Um, actually, uh, just, just to go on a brief tangent about idols, we went to Tower Records in uh, Shibuya, uh, which is a very very famous multi-story uh, record shop. I love that place. Oh, it's it's so um, good. And we were we were just there to be like, oh, let's uh, let's just just get a feel for like what the music scene in Japan is like. So uh, we and we went to the the uh, there's a whole floor of like idol groups. So we saw the I didn't realize there was like as well as AKB48 and SKE48. There's all these other fucking ones as well that I've never heard of. But there was a poster for a new single. Not even all of AKB48. It's 16 select members apparently who are appearing on this single single and clearly the XI. yeah clearly the marketing people for akb48 are like right you all need something to set yourself apart because obviously it's a, it's a huge group you need a hook and there's this one girl in akb48 whose thing appears to be that she loves toast <laughs> like all the that. other gimmicks she have means... been taken like sorry this who amongst us who amongst us relatable <laughs> yeah exactly Eating exactly. toast on the poster, eating toast on album covers. Like, I just, I've got to wonder what happened at the casting audition where, like, they decided that this was the toast girl. It was like, look, okay, we've run out of ideas. You've got the toast. Or did she come in and, like, she was eating a piece of toast that she'd, like, <laughs> had on the bus on the way there or something and they were just like, bump, that's it. I think it's more of a celebrity mastermind thing. <laughs> where the whole thing with celebrity masterminds is that. Obviously, when you, you apply for regular masterminds, you give them your special subjects and you work from that. Um, and they, they vet that. However, on celebrity masterminds, they just phone you up and go, do you want to do celebrity mastermind? Yeah, what's your special subject? And people go, uh, there was a guy on last season whose special subject was, and I quote, salmon. <laughs> um, you fuck all about fish. Salmon especially, and you fuck all about... And he actually burst out laughing because he's a wider this. So everyone seems to panic at Celebrity Mastermind, like famously John Bishop with the Irish potato famine, um, which he knows fuck all about as well. Um, so I, I think maybe it's a sort of... She's like, what's your gimmick? You need a gimmick. And she's just panicked and went, toast. And then suddenly she's been numbered with this toast I mean, gimmick. I, 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 far for me to um, you know, question her sincere love for toast. I'm not gatekeeping toast. Or like, like the nerds <laughs> like to do is like, oh, you, you, you're a girl who likes video games. That's like so weird to me. Uh, Name me your favorite strawberry preserves. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, I wanted to get a, a, a give a wee anecdote from when I went to Tower Records. I totally forgot about this. But when I went in, they were playing like this sort of stony doom metal sort of thing, like on the PA or whatever. It was like, very heavy, but it wasn't like sun or anything like that. But it was it was great, and I, I, I was like, I don't know this. I'm like, it's it's all right. I'm not I'm not a big stony doom fan, but I was like, this is quite groovy. And I quite like this, and I went over and I said, "Excuse me, who is this?" And um, the best band ever to ask someone because it was indeed King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so the good. greatest band name of all time. Uh, Semi main for this international princess title match. Rika Tatsumi versus Suzume. This might be the best match we saw um, the entire time we were there. Um, also, there was a good moment where um, they chipped all the yellow streamers for Suzume and um, Mio Watanabe and Arisu Endo on the outside. They exchanged the look as if to say, fucking hell, she got a lot of streamers there. Shout out mm-hmm. to the uh, streamer collecting technique of the Tokyo Joshi roster because they'll be out of practice at this shit. 
Uh, I remember that Christmas special where we actually like graded the stardom roster and how good they were at picking up streamers. Let me tell you something. Wakana Uehara is an absolute prodigy at this, and I'm very. She really is. I was so impressed. Yeah, she can't have ever done it before. Like, and I'm yeah. I'm very pleased to inform you that um, Pom Harajuku, uh, her streamer collection technique is like Misawa level. Uh, like it's, it's oh, better than her wrestling it. ability. Um, <laughs> like it's uh, she's genuinely really good at it. Himawari had an interesting technique. Uh, I, I call the streamer cocoon, where she would just envelop her body in again, like Mayu doing her uh, doing her entrance. This didn't really, and then she'd like disappear under the ring to extricate herself from the streamers, and then she'd come back out. This worked well up to a point when you got to like. Uh, well, this match in particular, and then she went under the ring to disentangle herself from the streamers and didn't come out for like five minutes. <laughs> and that was great because obviously when you're on the front row, you get to see what's happening under that ring. So when that apron gets pulled up and all you can see underneath it is the largest pile of streamers that's ever existed. And it's like there's nothing else under the ring. It's literally just a bunch of rolled up silly string. It was just, it was incredible to see kind of how much volume of paper just gets thrown all the time. Like maybe Mother Nature kind of wanted an end to streamers. I haven't decided yet, but it looks really cool and it obviously means a lot to them. So I'm inclined to allow it for now. Just the light tubes and now the streamers. Is there anything? Just that... put them in the recycling afterwards. That's all I Is ask. Is there anything that Jeremy Corbyn and his Maoist brigade <laughs> will not try to take <laughs> from us? This match was really good. Um, like re. re Rika Tatsumi, for all that, I don't think Sarah and I would have her at the top of our favourite Tokyo Joshi wrestler, even in the top five. Put her in a title match in a prominent position, and she is always absolutely incredible. She was a fucking killer in this. There was a great spot where she um, took a glow stick from a, a young fan, who must have been like a sort of middle school, elementary school age, to choke yeah, Suzume with it on the outside, and then just like hand it back, just like, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, Rika Tatsumi is great. Suzume, again, uh, future champion of this company. Yeah, this this match is brilliant. Like this is what I would say. Yeah, go out of your way to watch. If you only watch one thing from this show, make it. Yeah, I probably wouldn't argue with that. I think it was. I think Rika does a really good job of actually being the kind of the the nasty, overbearing. I don't think she's really working heel per se because I think her character is actually still quite popular, but. She's just she's good at making herself a mountain to climb because Rika can be an absolute murderer when she wants to be. And she really leaned into that to get that sympathy going for Suzume. I mean, while we were there, we picked up a copy of Shupro and Suzume had a feature in it as well. So she's definitely one of those people who's on the cusp of something really exciting. And I have to say, that kind of almost took me a bit by surprise. I think that I think that Suzume's kind of ascension has kind of snuck up on me um but then you see her in a match like this and you see that she's a hundred percent you know holding up her end of the bargain like it was a really it was a really well worked match on both sides and i think it had kind of just the right level of violent chaos rage yeah absolutely and the main event uh princess princess title mizuki defending against soya wreck who is uh, uh well I, I know her from gcw and I, I, I'd not really seen her wrestle before. I'd, I've seen some gifts. She was the one who had the death match with uh, Hikari Noah uh, four days prior to this. I think when I saw the title match announcement, I was like, oh, I kind of would have rather it was maybe a bigger title match. But, you know, some of the characters have what you might call B-tier uh, title offences. This is fine. Then I found out Soya Wreck is six foot three. And um, I um, just thought, okay, Miski's like 4'11". Like, look, even if this match isn't any good, like visually, it'll be a delight. Uh, but I'm happy to report that the match was indeed very good, and it uh, it felt different from your average 
uh, Tokyo Joshi main event simply because Mizuki just couldn't do a lot of her usual repertoire to someone of this size. And like, I mean, David, you've often talked about like you love matches where one of the wrestlers comes across as a puzzle to be solved. You would love this because it was just about Mizuki figuring like, how the hell do I beat this person? Like, my normal shit doesn't work. Uh, Same me up. <laughs> yes. No, genuinely, I do think this is exactly your kind of match because I mean, it's got the like the tall and small combination, which is inherently like very fun to watch. But also, as someone who had never seen Soyrek before that show either, she is over with me, guys. She was genuinely brilliant. She played her part so well in this match, and I just feel like even though obviously she's physically imposing. But she really does carry herself like a big deal as well. Like, I feel like I knew instantly who she was when she came out into that match. I knew exactly what type of, what, what you know, what type of wrestler she was going to be. Because there were, there were moments when, I'm not going to say that I ever kind of thought that there might be a title change or anything. I don't think it ever really hooked no, me that no, far. It wasn't that kind of show. It wasn't that kind of match. I think we all knew that. So within that, the challenge is, make it believable and make it entertaining and don't send people home early. And I wouldn't have missed that match for the world. It was great fun, really well worked, and it told a good story of something that was a different title defence for Mizuki. And I think, given the response that Sawyer Wreck was getting, oh, when, yeah, the crowd you know, by the her. time of that final farewell, like she'll be back, she'll be doing a bunch more matches, and, and I think you know potentially there's some quite interesting stuff for her in the future in Japan. Yeah, I like I think they'll want to have her back because I mean she must have only had like three matches in the in the company. But she like she got to do a little bow at the end, the crowd was really into her. Yeah, yeah, fan- fantastic. Uh, again, like this this proves the rule. The best people in Tokyo Joshi are the people who do not fit the vibe at all. Like, you know, in terms of the imports. Uh like uh, yeah, Maxine Paler, Heidi Howitzer, um, you know, Soy Rec, you can add to that pantheon. What I wanted from the show, I you know, a, a high quality uh, Tokyo Joshi Korokan Hall, and yeah, that was that was the thing we really wanted from this holiday. Um, I I do think that they are they're also very slyly advancing this thing that's going on with Miss Kia and Yuka. So obviously we know that Yuka is going to be kind of basing herself more out of the states in the future, but. I mean, there's another confrontation that has to come to resolve this storyline between Yuka and Mizuki. And, you know, Mizuki does her kind of post-show spiel to send the crowd home happy and everything. Yuka's the first person there to support her, cheering in her corner, standing and smiling and listening to every word that she says and cheering her on. And it just doesn't quite look right. Like, especially having been like 10 feet away from her while she was doing all of this. There is that kind of element of it, it's almost kind of too nice and too good to be true going on about that. Like something about it just didn't ring true to me. And I think maybe that's, uh, I mean, look, I could be completely wrong and we could be talking about this at some point and Yuka's gone and we're like, why didn't she finally have that moment with Ms. Key? Did they actually just mean to piss everybody off with a disappointing finish in the first place when, when they did the title change? But as it is... It feels like they're still dropping breadcrumbs that eventually this is going to boil over and they're finally going to have to settle the, you know, they're going to have to settle the conversation about who's better. I I do feel like there's another match in the future. But yeah, there's something kind of about just the way that they're looking at each other in ways that I don't even think are on camera a lot of the time either but it's, it's there for the people in the room and that's something that I don't think I would have seen otherwise. They'll do it because like, I mean, yeah, basically 
the the deal was that Yuka didn't give it her all because she loves Mizuki too much and basically let her win. She went down too easily. Yeah, she did. She went down more easily than anybody thought she would. I, think, I think it's even more pressing now that you know Yuka Sakazaki is. Uh, and now she's leaving Tokyo Joshi at the end of the year. She's going to move to America. Um, like they'll they'll do that match. Like I I trust this company to tell the story correctly because their booking has been really really solid um, over the last yeah. over the last few years. Like yeah yeah WWE I wouldn't trust to stick the landing on this shit. Um, uh, far from I'm it. not entirely sure I trust Stardom. Oh no, God! But um... but in fairness, our Lord and Savior Tam Nakano is now currently is currently red belt champion. You know, I Julia's see. reign of yeah, Julia's yeah. reign of terror ended at Yokohama, mate. Amazing, big Thomas. Yeah, this this was the show that happened like the day we flew out, and we uh, look, we did look at changing the flights, and then it was like it's going to cost us hundreds of pounds uh, to do this. We're not going to do that just so we can see this uh, Stardom show, which is apparently uh, apparently very good. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Tam Tam won the red belt. Um, Saints be praised. Mina Shirakawa uh, won the white belt, and like this is uh, the feud at the moment uh, uh, that they're doing. Seemed like it was good. I am, shall we say, less happy about that. But never mind. I, I tell you what, there's there's a lot of people out there who are happy about Mina Shirakawa winning the white belt. Let me tell you. Oh, no, um, I am sure there uh, are. But yeah, so that brings us to the end of our. We hope you enjoyed this uh, other barrage of self-indulgence. Sarah and I, having been completely smitten by Japan, are planning on going back next year. We may, we'll probably get to one wrestling show, maybe. Uh, while, while You're coming to see Beheaded with me. I would like to take the opportunity as well because this is something I didn't talk about at the time because I wanted to draw. A li- I wanted to kind of make a bigger deal of it at the end as well. There's a name notably missing from all of my kind of great legends of Joshi that I'm slowly ticking off my list, but whom I never thought I'd actually see in the flesh. And if we go back to that Diana show, the day before we saw her on Twitter, Bull Nakano had announced that she was going to be reading the certificates before the title match. Now, when I spoke to Kyoko before the match and I was wearing my Bull Nakano t-shirt, which I had taken for obvious reasons, and then I was like, well, if she's going to be there, I want her to know I've got it. So then as I was speaking to Kyoko, she looked at my t-shirt and went, oh, and George sort of explained that I was a fan of uh, a fan of AJW. And she was kind of like indicating as if to be like, you know, she's here, right? And I was like, oh, I do. Um, and then there was legitimately a moment. I mean, Bull Nakano is stood in the ring and I'm having a brief moment of like, oh my God, what is this life? She's actually there. And then uh, after the Queen Elizabeth title match, Jackie Wee Carter is standing there having the certificate read by Bull Nakano. And it must be so weird for her to be getting these plaudits for her title defences from someone who is her junior and who she trained. You know, uh, to some extent she will have trained, they will have they they will have been in that dojo together in the mid eighties. She will have had a hand in Nakano's training at, at least around the time or after her debut. Blew my mind to see those two women in the ring together, and to see them ace of the eighties. You know, to an you know, because she was the ace whilst the Crush Girls were the Crush Girls were the heart and soul, but she was the dollars and cents, yeah. so to speak, or maybe the other way around. I don't know, but to see Jaguar Carter. And then Bull Nakano, who carried the company through 1990 and beyond. And then to see them on the same show where you've got kind of people like Unagi Sayaka and the kind of really promising rookies that we were seeing in the same building throughout those entire couple of weeks. 
that was a moment of kind of sitting there and going, oh my God, Joshi is the fucking greatest thing mm. in the world, guys. It's good, but did you see Survival to be always in 45 seconds? Next time, mate, next time. Do you see honorary Starner brother Kazuki Hashimoto? To be fair, get him in the fucking Starner brothers with what Rick's been coming out with lately. What a massive cunt. Anyway, should we do plugs? I run a part of Thistle podcast called Draw, Lose or Draw. It is an incredible time to be a Thistle fan, as I mentioned at the start. We are currently three games away from being promoted to the Premiership. Um, we are at critical mass. We had 7,500 people there last week. It'll be even more if we beat Air. I think we've already sold 2,000 for the away game to air, and we love going to air. Um, I remember we could beat 4-0, and everyone was just still so drunk. They're all singing and dancing and you know, jumping about, even though we were getting absolutely destroyed um, on the last day of the season. Um, so Friday is going to be very, very special. But after that, next week it is um, absolutely go, go time. If we beat air, it's a, it's a two-game shootout, shootout against... Um, Probably come Ma- probably Ross County, but I want it to be Kilmarnock. Um, to where we could end up in the Premiership, it is honestly the fans are our fan base has just been galvanised so much. Munns the pub next door to um uh, Fahill was absolute pandemonium. If we get through to the final, it's going to be like Caligula with scampi fries. It's going to be utterly ridiculous, and um. It's just an amazing time, the best time I've had being a Thistle fan um, in many years that I've been going now. Um, I feel like I'm 20 again. I genuinely, every time I go, it's so much fun. And the, the team are just incredible. We've lost once in 18 games. It's unbelievable how good we are. So look forward to us putting out our 4-0 loss to air next week um, on Friday <laughs> and our reaction to that. But yeah, um, the, the, the pod, we talk about it week to week. We're doing lots of um, specials over the summer, looking at the history of Thistle. So many great things going on um, at the moment. And yeah, I would draw was a draw. Um, I'd definitely give it a look out, do lots of cool documentaries, and I'd definitely suggest looking them out, especially the one we're going to do on the Martin Gateman Challenge Cup final that's coming out next week, if we beat air. I love the, the if, if we beat air, all of these well, other things. This has been a running joke. Like I genuinely, I am not joking here, right? When I say this, it's meant to be out ages and ages and ages ago. However, um, life has gotten away and I've basically not done it. And I've set myself the target of, wouldn't it be great before we have this big playoff final against, you know, Ross County or Kilmarnock or whoever, when there's going to be eight, 9,000 people at Far Hill? Why don't we look at the last time that happened against Morton and we'll try and get out for that? So in the days before you're on the bus and it, the game or whatever, you can get really hyped up for it and get the battle fever. And but I have had so many people come up to me asking when is the when is the Morton pod coming out? Because it become a running joke now where like Matt who runs a podcast with us and other people who are contributors asked their asked their friends or asked people who listen to the show to, to annoy me about it. Yeah, there was someone who I never met and had never listened to the podcast who, who opened up with the opening gambit of when is the Morton pod coming out because <laughs> they've been briefed by uh, our friend Hera. Um, so yeah, so like, it's long awaited. So I think there's good high stakes. So I'm going to put it out going, if we win, it goes out next week. If we don't win, I have other things I need to do and I'll have to punt it along the road because if we win, there will be at least six nerds who listen to the podcast who will be on the pitch 
and absolute delirium at the fact that this podcast might actually fucking come out. So yeah, <laughs> but um, draw is a draw. It's great. Also, uh, fastbook.bandcamp.com and uh, bowyexandexwaddle.bandcamp.com. Yeah, not a huge amount from me, actually. I'm going to say follow me on Twitter at SarahParking1. Listen to, if if for some reason this is your kind of first instalment of us banging on about Joshi, go back and listen to all the prior 15 episodes of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. Good luck and Godspeed. So you can follow us at Per Podcast on Twitter. You can listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Please find our writing at imintendedoublefootstumpycilly.com. That's imintendedoublefootstumpycilly.com. And also, uh, since the start of January, at marshmallowbomb.substack.com. Um, so I've actually done a write-up of our trip to prominence with uh, Abby and James, uh, which is, uh, it does restate some of the things I've said on this episode, but uh, read it anyway, give me the clicks. And there's also stuff there, such as uh, the world's surely the first and only comprehensive look at all the professional wrestling references in the novels of Salman Rushdie. There's a bit about how Mihiro Kiryu reignited my love for Mahjong and uh, stuff like that on there as well. Uh, you can buy my novel The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan for 249 for your Kindle or 17.99 print on demand paperback. It's very good, I've been assured. Uh, and that's, uh, that's about it from me, really. Oh yeah, follow me on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Lord Tempi. I play Mahjong every Thursday. It's a good time. Okay, so thank you very much for listening to the Pura podcast. We will return at some point in the future. And until then, Matt Thank you.